one day, they will all come to my funeral just to make sure that I stay dead. But today is not that day. I'm alive. My heart is still beating and I'm breathing. Fresh air for the first time in a long time. My name is John Moxley. And I am on a mission to reclaim my soul. And I know I'm not the only one who thinks, you know, it's about time this industry got a facelift. So make no mistake about it, this is an official declaration of war tonight. To anyone who wants to get in my way, and anybody who stands in AEW's way, we have a mission. To knock the pillows of this industry on their ass. We ain't reading history books anymore, baby. We writing them. This is what you call a paradigm shift. Gentlemen, hello and welcome to another edition of Just What the Internet Needed More Of. That's right, it's a wrestling podcast. It's another wrestling podcast. It is called Top Marks. It's another wrestling podcast called Top Marks. My name is Justin Morissette and with me once again, as always, is the janitor himself. He's cleaning up the messes of the masses. Josh Custodio. Justin, there's no time to waste. we got to get right to it. There's not a moment to waste, Justin. Listen, we've got Double or Nothing to review. We've got Ambrose, or rather now the new Moxley, going on Jericho's podcast, and an NXT TakeOver to preview. This is a hot episode of Top Marks, and thank you all for tuning in. Yeah, this is going to be a jam-packed, slam-banged uh, fucking episode here. We go, baby. Woo! It's so jam-packed that we're almost talking as if we're on fast motion. It's like you're listening to the podcast on double speed, but no, this is just how fast we're talking, folks. I mean, there's almost no other podcast where you can get this out of two wrestling people who can talk this quickly and never say um, but, and no conjunctions. We're always just spreading the wrestling love. Yeah, so where do you want to begin? Right here. How you doing? I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Good. This is, you know, we're doing this <laughs> on a sunny, beautiful Thursday. Uh. The Raptors are about to play game one of the NBA finals. Raps in four? Yeah, absolutely. Going to be a clean sweep. And if absolutely. they lose one... Still Raps in four? If they lose one in Golden State, they did it on purpose because they want to win on home court. Wow. Thank you, Raptors. <laughs> uh, man, Vancouver is way better once the sun's out, eh? Um, yeah. Yes and no. Oh, you don't... Okay. Well, are you taking the anti-sun stance? I like September. That's my mm, favorite month. The fall? Yeah. It's not as, like, just bleh, short sure. yeah, as yeah, this. Yeah. But the rain hasn't kicked in yet. The leaves are beautiful. The air temperature is just perfect. Yeah. it's That's my ideal. If every month could be September, like if we could just freeze that. The, the where we are positionally uh, in relation <laughs> to the sun, just no more spinning around the sun. Just stop us right there. Well, I actually, I think we both know, you know, the earth isn't spinning. Yeah. We would, <laughs> ancient scientists, my own personal team of scientists are hard at work <laughs> to come up with a uh, kind of uh, repulsor system, a giant jet on yeah. the side of the earth. Good idea. Yeah, we're setting up like a giant uh, rocket uh, attached to China, basically. Okay. Everybody complains about all the emissions out of China. Yeah. Just wait till you see the emissions coming out of our big jet propulsor. propulsor. <laughs> Come on! It's going to stop us from spinning around the sun okay. and just hold us in play th- place in September. I am. I know nothing, and that sounds feasible to me. Yeah, so absolutely. Uh, this is what I've been doing with your Patreon dollars, folks. <laughs> Fuck! <laughs> 
<laughs> Jamo, this may seem weird because often here on Top Marks, we will go through things chronologically, but I almost feel like we can't talk about Double or Nothing and specifically the ending of Double or Nothing. I think it's better framed within the context of John Moxley going on Chris Jericho's podcast this week. Well, Are you okay starting there? Chronologically, that does make sense because they recorded that episode before the show. Oh yeah, that's right. And it's funny because so often I feel we're we're burnt on the show because we we don't we record a little, little late in the week, always mm-hmm. Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday. This week, I feel like it favors us, as this podcast came out only yesterday, I believe. Yes, as we record this, probably two days ago as you listened to it. <laughs> or maybe I, you're listening to it yeah. three days after it came out. Yeah, we don't case, know. Five days ago. I don't yeah. fucking know. Yeah, we, we don't rule your life. Listen to this when you want, man. Yeah. No, no pressure here. Yeah, it's still good content. Could no be matter a year ago. You listen. Yeah. <laughs> That's exactly right, Jamie. <laughs> uh, but, but can we start there with the, the John Moxley on Chris Jericho's podcast, Talk is Jericho? Yeah, but before we do that, I just want to yeah. say, if you're listening to this in the year 2021... <laughs> <laughs> fuck you. Yeah, what are you doing? What the fuck go, took you so long get to life. get around to this episode? You disgust me. Jesus Christ. Get your head out of your ass. Pitiful. <laughs> Makes me want to, he's gonna, he's gonna, he's gonna <laughs> You know who has, uh, did you expect John Moxley's uh, McMahon impression to be a little better? A little bit. Yeah, I thought it was a little, because we hear so many Vince McMahon impressions. I thought this yeah. one was on the softer side. I didn't really feel like he was doing the voice. He was just yeah. trying to get the cadence, yeah, which I way. did think worked. For sure. Yeah. So for those of you who, I mean, I can't imagine you're listening to this and, and don't know, but... Uh, yeah, but we never do this. We never like to acknowledge other re- uh, wrestling podcasts. Certainly not. Or really other podcasts at all. There aren't any. But this week, we do have to tell you, if you have not listened to John Moxley on Chris Jericho's Talk is Jericho podcast, first of all, you're probably better off in some way because you didn't have to hear the Talk is Jericho theme song, which might objectively <laughs> be the worst song in all of podcasting. Dude, did you ever, had you ever heard that I before? I have heard it before because I've listened to the show before, and it's always a Astonishing! You're in a band and you're a <laughs> singer. This is the worst song I've ever heard. It, and it's only like 20 seconds long. And it feels like it takes two years off your life. <laughs> it, 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 I, it is shocking because I feel like if you heard his podcast and you heard that, you would be like, I will never listen to this man's band. Mm-hmm. Talk is Jericho. Don't, even, it's, don't it's, even do it. It's like it's like he wrote it in 10 seconds and recorded on GarageBand. He's like, that's mm-hmm. a good theme. Mm-hmm. It's like he uh, wrote it just by slapping his dick on a keyboard. <laughs> he didn't even... Yeah, he, he got like the guitar sounds on an electric keyboard, but instead of playing it by hand, he just rolled his floppy old dick all over it and then sang whatever came to mind. Well, apparently what came to mind is the same thing he's been saying since yeah. 95. Well, he had some blue chew before. He did it. Well, that's it. Yeah. And stakes. And good Lord, the advertising on Talk is Jericho. Yeah, we'll get to Jericho's podcast in a moment. But yeah. folks, if you're like me, scooping up the kitty litter is a big problem around <laughs> your house. <laughs> Nightmare. It's on the chore wheel oh. for my children. But sometimes they don't even do it. My wife and I are constantly <laughs> fighting until we discovered that you can just hammer the 30-second skip button and you don't have to listen to that shit ever. But you do have to hammer it at least five times because ads do run on average two and a half minutes. Mama Mia. So uh, when you're wrong, you're wrong, Jamo. And I, I got to say, I was extremely wrong because I thought that the WWE announcing in advance that one at the time, Dean Ambrose, was going to be leaving mm-hmm. after WrestleMania on terms. I was very vocal that I thought this must be a work. Yes. Now, uh, granted... I was against you at the time. That's right, yeah. But I did start to come around as we got closer towards Mania season. It, the things they were doing did feel so weird yeah. that it did sort of feel like a work. That, that it was like, uh, you know, I think we talked about on this show, it was a way for them to wipe the palette clean of how bad his heel run had been. Right. 
that, that, and that was there was that, and just that announcement was so bizarre. I was almost yeah. happy to hear him say on this podcast that even he thought this was very weird. It's funny though to hear him talk about it the way he was booked down the stretch, like losing to EC3, having yep. a bump for Nia, Nia. Uh, that it, that it felt like they were int- intentionally burying him on his way out the door. When, like I said, it actually did feel like a palate cleanser. <laughs> so if anything, he benefited from like not having the stink of that heel run on him as he walked out the door to do whatever came next and, and to their credit them being wwe his send-off is nice he gets the shield moment he gets you know they've done way worse to guys on the way out I mean, and then the only thing that he said to acknowledge anything about you know leaving at all period maybe it's just a common metaphor that he chose to use i thought from the beginning he was tipping his hand towards double or nothing you're talking about the cashing in his chips yeah line. walk into the casino take your chips and cash out yeah i mean that's exactly what he did so on one hand, I, I don't think it's any secret here, J-Mo. Well, it's very interesting because he double or nothing then ends with him on top of a bunch of chips. Stack of chips. Yeah. Yeah, there's a great parallel there. It's I don't think it's a secret to listeners of this program that uh, I, in particular, I think, love Dean Ambrose and, and you know, had loved John Moxley before his WWE run. I felt listening to this show, J-Mo, when he started talking about every day getting there and having, like, a, a sick feeling in his stomach and, and things that sound like, like anxiety and how he entered depression... Did you find like this an extremely human podcast? I ended up mm-hmm. feeling like legit. I'm not comparing my life to John Moxley's in any sort of way, but I've worked at jobs before where like just walking in the door, you feel anxiety. The bus ride there is is horrible. I felt like this was very humanizing in a way to me, where yeah. you, you sort of view these guys like, oh, they're doing their dream. You know, they're in the biggest league of the job they wanted. But I don't. Maybe everyone else knew this already, but this was like a weird piece of perspective for me, where I, I legitimately felt bad for him. I don't know. As someone who is trying to live the dream career as well. Mm-hmm. I find that very relatable. Like, I have tons of work anxieties. And, you know, truth be told, I had a wonderful meeting with my manager last week. And I came out of it feeling great about everything. And all these things that I had felt down about over the last eight months were entirely in my head. And that's a great feeling to shed that. Yeah. But in the case of John Moxley, everything that he was feeling down about was not in his head. Well, and this is the the chief body of the podcast. And Okay, so I'm going to say two things here, which maybe sound like they're, they're at odds with each other, but I don't think they are. One, I was kind of surprised that people found this to be a a shocking interview in some ways, because I think the things that Dean Ambrose was confirming, it was exactly that. I think people have sort of known that this is the WWE creative process and how broken it is. It was just very, not validating, but there was something nice about hearing somebody who had been at the top just be like, you all are correct. Like, that's what's going on here. But at the same time, what was shocking to me, if anything, was that... I think we all know that the show is heavily scripted, that it goes through a team of writers and producers, and the guys do not have the kind of input on their uh, promos and whatnot as you might think that they do. They do not have the kind of creative control over their characters as we might think that they do. Everything is filtered through Vince, and Vince is a maniac. This is confirming things that we all know. Right. But what is shocking is that there are clearly people who get to operate outside of that system. Sure. Daniel Bryan is clearly operating outside of that system and has for the better part of the last year. Enzo Amore was. The New Day clearly have been operating outside of that system for three years straight, basically. Uh, Currently, I would say Bray Wyatt and Sami Zayn feel like they're operating largely outside of that system. Yep. Kevin Owens, I can't really tell if he has creative control over what he does or if that's just a character that Vince does have a firm grasp on right and and like is well suited to him as a performer and that is a perfect melding between performer and material i i can't tell on that one right but he's up there too what is insane to me 
is that you would not grant John Cena also obviously of course a, yeah. a very clear person who gets to do literally whatever he wants and can rewrite his material on the fly and no writer or producer is going to tell him what to do what is insane to me though is that you would not grant that level of creative freedom and control yeah to the shield <laughs> <laughs> Three guys who have, for the better part of the last decade, carried your company on their back. Yeah, headlined every pay per view, give or take like three or four, I think. Like, yeah. didn't have a member of the Shield in it. And you're gonna you're gonna hand creative control over to Bray Wyatt, but you won't give it to Dean Ambrose. Well, it's so shocking. I'm not saying that they shouldn't give it to Bray Wyatt. No, but no, it's no. Just like, how is there a hierarchy of who you trust with this and who you don't? That's a great point, and I wonder how those things are chosen, or you know. We have a question about this later, which we'll, we'll touch on. But you wonder how that is chosen and, and what who makes that decision and what proves to them that they're ready for it, if not Dean Ambrose. Because this week, JMO, as you probably saw in our Patreon chat, a couple people asked me, and that's patreon.com slash topmarks if you want to join. A couple people asked me, it's like, Josh, what, why, what did you like about Moxley? Because this was sort of a lot of people's first introduction to him here at Double or Nothing. Mm-hmm. So it sort of set me down a rabbit What's hole. What's different about Mox versus Ambrose? Exactly right. And I started watching, or revisiting, I should say, old Moxley promos, and I was just like, how could somebody go, surely when WWE scouted him, they had seen these, and sure, he swears in them, and he, there's some adult matter in there, but you can iron that out and obviously see that this guy, he can talk a blue streak. Well, it's like, well, look at the transition between Kevin Steen promos and Kevin Owens promos. Yeah, that's a great, that's a great take, way of putting it. You take it. the swearing out, but the guy is still the same. Exactly right, and so D- Dean Ambrose complains constantly in this podcast, correctly, and I think this is, again, something that I just didn't find shocking. I think all of us sort of assumed, and he put it so well. He's like, the worst thing ever that happened to me is that they figured out that I had comedic timing. Because then I was just doing goofy shit. I think that's what he calls it. Yeah. Just goofy shit all the time. He was like, let me decide when the time is right to put a joke in. Right. Don't script it. Let me read the audience and have the feeling for when jokes are necessary exactly without being a joke character well that's exactly right and they did make him not, not a joke character necessarily like he wasn't i don't know babyface no way jose yeah, I don't know, Santino, some of the things that get pointed at is like goofy shit like i really enjoyed the whole hot dog cart thing it was I awesome liked, yeah i liked that whole episode of raw yeah it, it worked in moments and dean nailed it on the podcast that if there's anyone who is going to get these things over I mean, he's on the very short list. He says he's the guy to do it. Oh, I, yeah. could, I could think of a couple others in that space. Well, but even the the episode of Raw that he identifies as 100% no turning back, I'm gone, yeah. out the door, counting down the days on my phone until I can be out of here. <sighs> he had six backstage promos. This was right after his heel turn. He's feuding with Seth. Seth wants him to come out to the ring and fight him. And he he's won't. taunting him from backstage. It, it culminates in a uh, in-the-ring segment where... Uh, because he hates the stink of the fans so much. This was a Raw that was in Los Angeles. He covers his face with a handkerchief. <laughs> I went back and I watched this promo so I did on the YouTube same. this yeah. week. I didn't think it was bad. No. He, I think As a, a performer, like, the, the okay, is the structure of the show bad? Probably yes. Yeah. But the promo itself was good. I mean, that's big fucking mocks yeah, for be, you. Getting and, it like, done. The material... Him having to denigrate the fans in this way and say that they stink and it's L.A. trash and blah, blah, blah. Not that great. But him, like, he pulled it off. Absolutely he did. And, it, and it's funny that we both actually went and rewatched that after It's that. funny to watch it, though, and realize this is the breaking point for someone. Because you see it and it's like, this is, like, 
far, so far from the worst things you had to do. Yeah, you think of them taking the giant needle and yeah. stuff like that's that. That's the next week. Yeah, and that's, that's the week. That's a week later, and that would only confirm that he was right about everything that he felt the week before. Jamo, I know this is kind of a hard question uh, on the spot, but can you tell me what some of like your main takeaways after listening to this interview were? Like, what were you left thinking about afterwards? Was your mind changed on anything? Was anything confirmed? Um, the number one thing that stood out to me that he said a couple times uh, was that. It's like they take wrestling away from you. Yeah. And and I was thinking about him saying that and thinking about Sasha Banks, actually. Mm. Because this is someone that we've often talked about. And I have said in the past, go back to work. Come on. Yeah. Like, this is your dream. Go do it. What are you doing? Um, do it for Eddie. <laughs> but, you, but you have to feel more compassion for her because it's exactly what John said is that, like, if you have been pursuing this for your entire life, if your number one love is create is pro wrestling and creating new and unique moments that have not been done before mm -hmm. and waking up in the middle of the night to write down ideas of how to end a match or what you can say in a promo, if your brain works like that and that's what you're always coming up with and you get a job that puts you on the platform where you should be able to do those things but you don't yeah and and like like he said Vince was always telling him you're Dean Ambrose pal you got all kinds of creative freedom and he like yeah. he'd lap it up during the meetings and he'd walk out and be like what the what the fuck was he talking about yeah. i don't get to do anything i don't decide anything yeah why do you think i'm in this office constantly <laughs> exactly then it makes sense that you would feel Exactly the metaphor that he picked for his video, that you're in jail, yeah, yep. that, you, that you as a wrestler are locked up, Why? and exactly what he said on the show. Just hire an actor to read a script. Yeah, it, hire me to be the wrestler that I am. My main was, was very much the same as yours. I think maybe it's a different part of the interview, but I think pretty much the same takeaway, which was, you brought me in because you thought I was a really good pro wrestler, but then you've got agents backstage who are telling me how the matches have to go, and then you've got writers telling me what to say. Why bring me in? Mm -hmm. I know that that should seem obvious, but the way he put that, I was like, that is weird. Like, that is super weird that these people are being told what to say and how to wrestle based solely off of this. Now, I don't want our show to become an anti-WWE podcast because, frankly, I think there's enough of those and I don't think they're very interesting mm -hmm. to, to just dump on. I mean, look, but I, it was... I went to bat hard for WWE last week. Oh, yeah. I mean, we, we have for two years, I think. But some of this, I would be lying if I did not say that the big fucking mocks got me... You know, thinking about things. He really did. Mm -hmm. So, now. Look, things need to change. Yeah. Th there needs to be a big change. Uh, Mox identified it as basically being, he didn't exactly know the exact timeline of it, but after the acquisition of WCW, probably sometime in 2001 or 2002, Vince started to build this structure yep. around him yep. of writers and producers and this massive kind of almost, you know, Hollywood organization mm -hmm. of how That's shows are it. made versus how wrestling shows had been put together prior to that. Mm -hmm. And it's funny because he has all that structure and that structure is supposed to be this thing that is like the big, uh, you know, force fighting against the creativity of the actual creatives yep. on his staff in his wrestling stable of talent. Um, 
but he also seems to completely just disregard that all the time and <laughs> rewrite Raw on the fly, like rewrite the show as the show is on the air. What is the point of having this stifling it, structure that <laughs> ruins everything if you also completely disregard it at every turn? It almost feels like those should be mutually exclusive, right? Like mm -hmm. if everything has to go through Vince, maybe everything just has to go through Vince. But why have this second tier underneath of however many writers and producers and agents and, and what have you? I think this this interview is must listen. Uh, I think if you have even a passing interest in like the the workings of WWE creative, this is yeah. probably the best look at it we've ever gotten. Yeah. Uh, genuinely, I mean, it is easily the best wrestling podcast episode since Punk on Art of Wrestling, and I would say it's probably even better than that because Punk is like everything is filtered through this lens of bitterness. Yeah, very bitter. Where you kind of like have to empathize with what he's saying, but take some of it with a grain of salt in the mm -hmm. same way. Moxley is extremely grateful for everything that he got to do in and he WWE. Makes this clear. Yeah. He met his wife there. He doesn't regret a single second that he spent there. And he approaches it with a almost like clinical precision of everything that's wrong with it to the point where like you cannot argue anything that he's saying. It's yeah, I, it's it's a it's a perfect podcast. I, th I think the punk one for me is a little more interesting because the story itself is like deviant, like the firing on the mm -hmm. wedding day and whatnot. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah. that that stuff's like very pro wrestling to me. So even in a meta sense, but really must listen. Uh, I think if you're if you're not with John Moxley right now, I don't know what's going to get you there. Well, the Punk Moxley podcasts are almost perfect to listen as companion pieces to each other. Sure, I because say, yeah. one of Punk's big complaints is that he's not not going to get his residuals. They're yep. going to continue to make money off of CM Punk that he will not see any part of. Uh, you know, the the whole stuff about uh, AJ and how she was treated after he walked out. The, one of the first things that Dean says is, I was, I was tempted to walk out on numerous occasions, but I didn't do it because that's not how I want to do business. And my wife works there. Yeah. I did not want to create awkward situations for my wife. When he oh. said that, like, big red flags, yeah. alarm <laughs> bells went off in my head, like... <laughs> Eh, 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 AJ, CM Punk is a dickhead. Eh, eh. AJ Lee's like, I should have married John Moxley. It's crazy. Um, I I just must say, and we we'll move on here to to double or nothing. But I just I know maybe this doesn't resonate with others quite as much as it's going to resonate with me. I don't know that I could accurately get across on this program how because the, the the video that John Moxley put out, the one breaking out of jail, is is so a tier. It's so fantastic. Oh yeah, your big revelation here. That sick Nick Mondo yes. made these. Yeah, he's the director <laughs> who made both uh, Moxley's um, jailbreak video, and I assume probably made his New Japan video as well. I, I just, I frankly could not tell you how funny this is to me. The can things you, I've seen, sick Nick Mondo. Yeah, can you contextualize who sick Nick Mondo is? Please? Oh yeah, I mean he's he's a a. A, a Jap well, he's not from Japan, but uh, a Jap in Japan deathmatch wrestler for Big Japan, and then a CCW, not anymore, but but same time as Moxley, you know, standard. Regular appear in, like, Tournament of Death type oh, stuff. Oh, he's probably, he probably has, without looking, two or three TOD entries, like, and tons of standalone death matches. Him and G-Raver, I don't know if it's uh, at Tournament of Death, but it is it is uh, a CZW show. I mean, like, <laughs> I've seen Sick Nick Mondo get, like, beat to hell via cinder block. Like, actual shit. Somebody's like, oh, he made this incredible vision that you like. I'm like... The guy who has sick written in Sharpie on his forehead is like mm -hmm. this auteur filmmaker. Yeah, and now him and Mox are <laughs> going to make a feature-length movie together. It's it's already my favorite movie. They're writing an action movie together with John Moxley as the star. 
This is the cool thing, man. Is like, yes, he signed this AEW contract, but he's free to do whatever the hell he wants. He can do indie dates. He can work yep. New Japan. Like, we're going to get the announcement from Joey Ryan this week, probably the day after or the night of that you hear this podcast, mm-hmm. about his decision. And by and large, it sounds like he turned down the AEW offer. Yep. I don't know why he would do that when a guy like Moxley is – you know, going to be a regular featured weekly player on AEW television, but also at the same time can do whatever the fuck he wants at any time. Yeah, I, I think if you're going to offer that to Dean Ambrose, you should probably offer that to Joey Ryan as well. Yeah. I know they're different level stars, yeah. but like if that's the kind of contract that you're going to float to people, that contract should be open to a number of talents who, like Joey Ryan, run their own promotions. Yeah in Los Angeles and probably don't want to step away from doing that. Yeah, I I think Joey Ryan has a a comfy gig where he does the same match every weekend at every headlining indie. In a different indie. And makes a zillion dollars while taking a bump. Get a headlining match in Austin, Texas against Luigi Primo. Your guy. I love Luigi Primo. (laughs) Luigi Primo. He's got very Borat energy. (laughs) He is an Italian pizza chef who comes out to the ring throwing his dough in the air. And then he uses the dough as a weapon uh, during the matches as well. Throws it in the face of his opponents. You would think that that's heelish behavior. He is the most beloved babyface in all of Texas indie <laughs> wrestling. So, is is this Joey Ryan match online somewhere? Can I watch it? Uh, I'm not sure if you can watch it without getting behind a paywall of some okay. kind. But if you go on YouTube and search for Luigi Primo, you can certainly find other Luigi matches. I promise I will do that this weekend. I love Luigi. So, JMO, with that framing of Dean, or rather, uh, shout, out, shout out to Tim Faust also because that's who introduced me to. Uh, shout out to Dean or Tim Faust. Uh, yeah, and he he runs one of the comedy inclined uh, wrestling companies in oh. Austin. I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but that's where Luigi uh, rose through the ranks. Right. You can find a match online of Luigi fighting against an evil, demonic slice of pizza wow. that he created and has been running from for a year. It's, <laughs> the, uh, this it's, sounds so Shakara. It's so fun, man. I, I, I'm going to see if Tim can send me the link to that again. I'll post it on the Top Marks feed this week. So with all of this framing in mind of uh, former Dean Ambrose, now John Moxley, feeling pent up, feeling like he needs to leave, he goes to AEW, let's jump into AEW's Double or Nothing, the the debut pay-per-view. Yes. Um, Do you for- want to give some thoughts on it from the outset, or should we go through the card and then give some recap thoughts here? You know, normally I would say let's go through the card, but I think for this show, because there's so much to touch mm-hmm. on in the meta sense, I think actually you're right. We should maybe give an, o- an overview. So, so I loved this show. <laughs> Fantastic. I did. I did not think it was on the level of uh, of All In. Sure. Uh, or, you know, any... I wouldn't give it, like, this might be the best show in history sort of tags, no. which is how I felt about All In. Right. How I felt about, like, Wrestle Kingdom 12, for of example. Of course, yeah. Um, because, like, you know, uh, I did hear that from people. You know, uh, a friend of mine went and watched it, uh, went to the Den, a beloved uh, bar I of ours. The den. And they had it playing in the back room. There were, like, ten guys in there. And they all formed, like, camaraderie together. We're sure. all ordering rounds of shots for each other my buddy spencer came out of that room at the end of that show and was like that's the best experience i've ever had in my life between the show and the people that i watched it with as an experience i could easily imagine that if somebody told me they thought double or nothing was the best wrestling yeah. card that ever seen, then i had to okay. be like i had to be like listen bud like all in was back like top to bottom bangers basically yeah all in's a much better card than double or nothing to me by far yeah. but double or nothing gives you a much better idea of what AEW TV will look like. Sure, yeah. And just what they are. Yes. You know, I think you said this on last week's show that All In feels a bit like ROH-esque. Yeah. In ter- um, it was, it Production-wise. Yeah, it was, it was AEW matches on a Ring of Honor production. 
Uh, so my, my sort of helicopter view of the show was, is basically this. I thought it was really good. I think there's a lot of room for improvement, and I think that's great for a starting company. Like, I, there's parts of the show that, that I'm like, okay, this this feels a little rookie, but the stuff that was good was really good, mm-hmm. and 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 it has such a clear direction, and it ended with something that both gave you a conclusive ending to the feud that was going on, and gave you a bunch of things exiting. And I know we'll talk about the main event, so I don't want to break that for down. Sure. But the structure of the show, yeah. I thought, was a home run. And even look. Even in the presentation, if there were technical things that could stand to be improved, you have to understand that this is the very first show mm-hmm. for a lot of the people running the tech side of this promotion. Yep. So there's going to be some hiccups along the way. But by and large, I thought the presentation of this show was killer. Now, what would you compare it to? Better than a New Japan show? Better than a TakeOver? <sighs> I put it under those. It, I would say like, in terms of how exciting it was to watch, mm. I would put it above them. Something but in, new, but in terms, is, yeah. But in terms of like the polish and the overall quality of the show, probably below. But I, but like that excitement factor cannot be overlooked. No doubt. The X factor, if we want to call it that. Maybe we shouldn't. Yeah. The <laughs> yeah, Bronco Buster, yeah, if you want to call it that. What Jamo's saying is they <laughs> suck. No. <laughs> <It's>, um, <laughs> but because here's the thing, like you watched this show, and you're not going to take a victory lap on always being a Dean Ambrose guy at no. the end of this night, because even you, I feel like, were checked out on Ambrose For sure. by the I think end of I, this WWE run. I think I had said on the show that like my worst take that I have ongoing is that Dean Ambrose is still good. But but I, as a longtime believer and supporter of Dolph Ziggler, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. feel willing to throw in the towel on him right now. And it has nothing to do with him as a performer. It's exactly what Mock said on Talk is Jericho. It has nothing to do with the performers. WWE has some of the most talented talents in the business, one of the most talented rosters in the history of the business. Oh, all all of the true. problems with the show are completely separated from them because there's something about the presentation – I was saying this last week when I was saying you were arguing that like, oh, Sami Zayn should get the star push, get mm-hmm. the rocket strapped to his back. I agree with you. I want Sami to be featured prominently, but there's something about the presentation of Raw every week that puts a ceiling on guys. Like Dolph is never gonna feel like more than he is. Sami Zayn should be a star, but I don't think is gonna feel like one because the the entire construct of Raw does not feel conducive to stars. I think if Dolph Whoa. Ziggler, I think if Dolph Ziggler walked into AEW, the way that that show feels, yeah. would make him feel different. That's true, and that's a huge thing. And then he would cut another promo where he sounds like he's on the verge of crying. But, but like, <laughs> you, but I know Sammy can be a top guy because he was a top guy in NXT. Because NXT. Feels different from watching main roster WWE. Yeah. And in that sense, I watched this show. I watched, you know, Double or Nothing, and I couldn't help but feel fucking fired up about every single guy on this show, whether I'd heard of them before, whether I they were it was my first time seeing them, like the Stronghearts, the guys from China. Yep. Never seen any of those guys before. Yeah. They, they were came great. Off Awesome. Yep. Like the ev- Joshi wrestlers, I wasn't familiar with any of them. I loved that match. Every single person on this show gave you a compelling reason to want to come back to them, and that goes beyond work rate. That goes beyond promos. There was something about the presentation that felt electric is the only thing that I can say. And and that is desperately, desperately missing from WWE. That is the big difference for me. So like, la- there are huge results and things to get excited about, but just the feel of this was 
radically different. You get the sense that AEW, 50% of the card is going to be stars, and WWE, about 10%. And it's like, yeah. this number should be so much higher for being a star maker. But WWE, we know this, doesn't want people. They only want them to get so big, right? Hmm. So there, there's definitely something to that. I don't know that I agree that the, the whole construct means that like Sami Zayn will never be a star, because... There's so many guys, countless examples of they lingered forever in the mid-card doing nothing important, then they had their moment, and all of a sudden they were the guy. I'm not saying it's impossible. I'm just saying Look that at Becky w- Lynch. Yeah, I'm just saying that the way that this show pre- uh, presents people versus the way that AEW presented people on their very first show, mm-hmm. there's something radically different about what the two approaches there. And one of them yeah. works, and one of them needs to be have a bullet put in its head forever. To play devil's advocate... <laughs> Because <laughs> I don't think WWE needs to put a bullet in its head forever. But but I'm not. This is a big I'm difference not, from your opinions I'm, last week. I'm not week. saying kill the company. I'm saying kill your production. Like yeah. com- kill Kevin Dunn. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's and w- okay. That was the biggest fu from WWE. Okay, I got to get in a word. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but Shane McMahon, after his congratulatory video segment on SmackDown this week, making the audience applaud for Kevin Dunn by name was the most tone-deaf, worst possible response to just coming off the heels of Double or Nothing. You didn't think it was, like, awesome heel work? No. I felt like it was AEW-esque in the way that it, like, addressed the fans. It, like, know directed what. at us. Yeah. I, it I, pissed me off. Like, so, yeah, sounds like it, it worked. It, I guess. But, but, like, in the bad way. In the bad way. So am I wrong in saying, J-Mo, that... Because last week I feel like you came on the show and really hardcore defended WWE... And now I feel like a week has passed, mm-hmm. and you're, you're feeling. And listen, I, I said I think my feelings have changed somewhat too from this interview. Is it fair to say that AEW is like awoken something in you? Well, you're now woken. Yes and no, right? Like, I mean, I still stand by what I said last week. I think they are trying to find a path to get Rollins from the. They're they're because they're pushing against the exact ceiling that I'm talking about, mm-hmm. right? Like, Sami Zayn is going to be stuck against that. Seth Rollins is at another level above Zayn and of course, those guys, yeah. but he's still pushing against something. Mm-hmm. I presented a path that I think is their plan to try and get him through it, but like all kinds of talent are going to have that problem unless you change the way you present your entire show. So sure. I'm not saying that what I said is not something that I believe in last week. Oh, no, I, I knew, certainly yeah. stand by my argument there, but yeah, it is hard not to feel... I felt hopeful about WWE, and look, last week's WWE TV was good. Yeah, this week's was Raw was awful. SmackDown was mostly fun. I actually thought SmackDown was pretty good, but Raw, this was almost an abhorrently bad Raw. Not a Raw review show, but I mean, if there was a Raw to miss, I mean, I thought this was bad. Maybe they do that on purpose because they know it's a weekend and they're not going to put a ton of effort into July 4th episodes or Christmas episodes, blah, blah, blah. The timing is... You could not help but have AEW fresh in your mind watching. Yeah, and then and then you get an episode where there's no wrestling on the entire first hour yeah, of Raw. It's just Rollins challenging Brock twice. I mean, how many times did you get that segment over the course of the night? Three times? Four times? I think it was three. Yeah. Two in the first hour, though, <laughs> which is – like, when they were back out, they're like, what the fuck are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> Very bizarre. But, Jim, what do you say we could jump into the card and sort of break these down match by match? Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I'm like, look – I want WWE to succeed, but they need to make changes, and AEW can push them to do that by showing that the way that they're doing things is entirely antiquated and needs to go extinct, exactly what Moxley said. I think you were the most optimistic AEW person in my life, by far, and and very positive about it, and I think that's good. We'll get to I that. W- we'll get to We'll get to that after the show. Oh, I just meant, particularly to this point, 
I don't think WWE right now can look at AEW and be like, oh, that's what's working. I think they had an incredible debut show. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, for a first show, I mean, good lord, double or nothing. Really couldn't have gone much better. I, I'm curious to see the exiting Fighter Fest and and once they get into these, these B pay-per-views for them, exactly where this enthusiasm is and if WWE is going to look to their creative as, oh, we need to wake up, look what they're doing. Mm-hmm. It, I'm not quite there yet, but but let's jump into this card because I think there's a ton of, of great stuff to get into, not including the show opening with a battle royal. Yeah, I didn't watch the pre-show. Okay, I, I'll every, fly through it quick. Everybody that I know who did was very down on it. Oh, really? Well, like... Okay, you know, I thought I was crazy. No, like, you know, Brodo in our chat was harping on all the production gaffes. And when you guys were doing that, I was at work, so like I, I only I caught up at like the tail well, end. Everybody's ripping the show for, for production goofs. I didn't watch the pre-show. I thought technically it went off pretty pretty well. I'll fly through the pre-show here. They st- opened with the, the 21-man casino battle royale, f- and th- this part's really important to me. For a shot, the winner of this battle royale gets a shot at the AEW World Championship. Mm-hmm. The first half of this, so people enter five at a time. I really hope That's they lose this weird. format. I, I find it, especially for like not unknown wrestlers, but guys like Dustin Thomas, who you know has a yeah. huge shine on sh- spring break and is now just in this group of five with no intro, no music. It's like AEW needs to be showing people these are new people, these are our guys, and like group entrances just don't get that especially across. Especially after All In's pre-show had one of the best yes. battle royals I've ever seen. I said unless... Maybe the best <laughs> battle royal I've ever seen. I, what about the gimmick battle royal? At <laughs> I, but, but everybody in the all-in one started in the ring at the same time. And maybe that's better. Whatever it was, I thought this was not only a mess in that sense, but the first 60-70% of this match is very heavy on the comedy. And when you're doing something for your world title, like a world title shot, yeah, this feels very mishmash to me. And then when Paige enters and he's like the only one wrestling seriously, and it's like so clear that he's going to be the winner. Well, it was MJF. I feel like they were kind of positioning MJF at the decently. end. At the end, those two are are sort of going at it. Yeah, even MJF's before, running away. Yeah, fair. It's like, and I, and I get that that's his character, but it's like no one's going to wrestle. Adam Page, I don't know. Even though, and I like the Orange Cassidy, Tommy Dreamer moment, but it's like this is for the fucking like you don't have a champion yet. Half of that equation is in this ring, and we have Orange Cassidy and Tommy Dreamer and Luchasaurus. A- and it's like okay, Joey Janela looking like he's gonna kill himself. Jesus, there were Louisa's. multiple spots. Even from just seeing the highlights on the main show, there were at least two spots where I thought Joey was dead. Can I break your heart? Yes. You know the where he goes like head first through a table? Yeah. The camera doesn't catch that on the broadcast. Oh That's God. online only. Oh so Joey Janela wrist true paralysis. For something that did <laughs> to not make the fucking broadcast. Wow. <laughs> I thought that was great. Uh, I don't have a ton to say but but right right choice having Adam Page win this match, I think, and be for half sure. of the equation and, for and to be, you know, not just half of the equation for that match when they do it for the uh AEW title, but like position him as one of the top guys in the yes, promotion. Totally. And and look, are guys like Jericho and Kenny and Cody like already at a point where they are almost above the belt? That, that is being introduced for the company that they're supposed to be founding and being the top stars of. Yes, but like you need to be. We'll get we'll get to it during the Bret Hart segment. I'll tell more about that. Part Great. When we get there, uh, then I'll just quickly talk about Kip Sabian versus uh, Sammy Guevara. I felt this was not lackluster. It was it was solid, but you could tell they were like told like you guys can't go crazy here. Like you can't can't we're, we're building to something. We can't have this this energy all blow off. So I felt they went not easy, but. I've seen both these guys do like much flashier things in the ring, and that wasn't really here, but it was it was totally a fine match. Then uh, Cody Rhodes enters the ring and starts giving a speech, just like he did it at All In. Mm-hmm. But 
it cut off halfway through the speech to get to the main show. Oh, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. It, like, fades to black in the middle of Cody talking. Weird. And uh, so that that was all. I could imagine. It was, I'm almost thankful I didn't watch it live because yeah. I feel like if I would have watched that hour, I'd been like, ooh, Felt I don't really know about this. Know what you're getting into. But I did it way better. I watched it later with you. But here's was, the thing, though, to me, because all this griping about technical errors was all in the pre-show. Granted, I understand this is the company's first show in history, so technically the pre-show is the first thing that they're showing people. Mm-hmm. But if we accept largely that nobody watches the WWE pre-shows for pay-per-views, yep. we don't include them in our reviews because we don't watch nope. them. Like Almost nobody watches them. There's almost nothing ever on there that's worth seeking out. I don't understand all the griping about this pre-show. It's a fucking pre-show. I can't. I couldn't care less about that. You like with a match for a shot at the world title. You, know, you don't you, give a shit. No, I, that is a fair complaint. But just it's, like things about like what's going on with that librarian sketch. That was and, brutal. And complaining about camera work and blah. It's like man. But it's a first impression to AEW. Yeah, that's fair. that's why people are yeah. responding so strongly. Yeah. That's the first bit of AEW content a bunch of people that, ever that's took true. in. Um, I didn't. I didn't see it. I probably never will. I would not recommend it because the main show opens with a match I actually do like a lot. Uh, as we got uh, Skew, Soul Cal Uncensored taking on the Stronghearts, Seema T Hawk and El Lindeman. This was super fun. Skew is. I can't say that I love SoCal Uncensored, but I see you, baby. But there's what what a nice little thing for them to have in their pocket. That that act. You said on last week's show that they were uh, the, the AW's New Day, and I think yeah. they're not as good as the New Day. I don't think even you would say that. No, but, but they're entertaining. Totally, and they it's are such a very fun act. And for a match like this, as not only just a first show, but facing people who who the American audience isn't going to be familiar with, they didn't need to get across a story, but they got across their personalities like that. I thought this match was great. I liked the finish of the BME into the Tombstone. I, I thought. I just thought it was a fun match. One of the things good, that good I, tag open. One of the things that I really enjoyed, and I talked about this one when you and I watched it at the time. There mm-hmm. was a spot on the outside where uh, two of the guys in Strong Hearts are kind of dazed on the outside. We're about to get our big tope to the outside. Our Scorpio Sky maybe jumped off the turnbuckle. I can't remember what the exact. It was the. It's the typical running jump spot that to the outside on two guys who are going to catch the yeah, yeah, offense yeah. that you see in. Every well, every tag match. But this had an interesting wrinkle to it, which the two Chinese oh, yeah. guys were down and out, and then uh, 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 Kazarian picked them up off the ground and held their dazed bodies in place and then ducked out of the way as soon as Sky came over with the tope to hit them. It was like that little detail is so simple but is missing from almost every tag match that you see. Uh, it's connective tissue that makes that spot make sense instead of just having guys stand around waiting to take offense. Well, and those details are what I love so much about the Revival. I feel like they're the kings of those like little touches, like those those little polishes. And when you pointed that out to me on the, the broadcast, I was very happy to see it. So I thought this was a, you know, a very solid tag opener. Is this a spot where I can maybe talk about... Uh, well, how I feel AEW is benefiting from the stand-up versus improv yeah, dynamic. Sure. Okay, because look, I think yeah, good way to. Open ultimately, it, sure. the the content of this match was not dissimilar from a six-man tag you might see on WWE TV every week. Nope. Maybe the work rate was a little faster. Even then. But this was about a typical tag match. It still had a different vibe to it, though, and there's a difference. It's because like, look, this is it. The parallel that I would say is that it's WWE. As stand-up comedy versus AEW as improv comedy. 
when you go to see an improv show as an audience member, you are more inclined to give it goodwill that you would not give to stand-up. Because right. there's an understanding that everything that you're seeing is being invented in front of you on the fly. That, like, there's a creative energy here that is bringing you in in a way that is making you give bigger reactions than you would otherwise if you were to see the exact same jokes performed on a stand-up stage. Because that is alive. That is being made up right on the spot. Whereas if you go to stand-up, you might see somebody present objectively funnier jokes, but you might give them zero reaction because you'll hear it and be like, you spent a month writing that? <laughs> yeah. There's definitely a swapped expectations thing there. And I think, frankly, I think people are being extremely generous to mm-hmm. AEW. But there's, listen, but, but like there's, fan goodwill is worth so much, and, and that, I'm happy they have it. And that is a thing, though. And that, I feel like that comparison works perfectly because WWE is extremely produced, yeah. like stand-up, and there was a kind of vibrancy to this show that like mirrors improv to me. Yeah, I think it's a great comparison. Um, so, yeah, well said. Let's move into the uh, the ladies, JMO, as there was a, a fatal four-way. Not the triple threat we were no. promised. Uh, but it did indeed start with uh, Dr. Britt Baker. And I like the the doctor addition to the name. I think it's great. Mm-hmm. She's a dentist in real life, I yeah. didn't know, which is, is tremendous. Yeah. Uh, defeating Nyla Rose, Kylie Ray, and the reappearing... Welfare Queen. Awesome Kong. Uh, I was pretty stoked to see Awesome Kong, if I'm being honest. Uh, Her entrance was awesome. When is the last time Awesome Kong wrestled? Is it Uh, TNA? Yeah, you were like, when was the last time I saw Awesome Kong? And I was like, probably season two of (laughs) Yeah, the Welfare Queen. Because I can't think of an actual match. I'm sure she's done like indie dates here or there that I'm just not aware of. But I think the last time I watched her wrestle was like... She was rusty as hell within the actual ring work of this match. I'm so glad to hear you say this. But... Her presence brought something fun. Oh, yeah. I, I love Kong. I think Kong and Kim is one of the, like, underrated feuds of all time. Like, legitimately, I think that. I, I thought she looked like shit in this match. I haven't seen this floated anywhere else, so I wasn't wondering if, like, I'm a crazy person. Mm-hmm. I felt like she was out of the match for 70% of it, and all of her offense looked really slow and weak. And normally you can sort of get past that, but, like, her gimmick is so... But again, bruiser. again, like you said, though, when is the last time she worked? Dude, I don't know. Maybe yeah. maybe the glow's gotten to her. It's like, no, we don't hurt people. We're actors. But oh, well, whatever it was, well, I, I thought she was very weak in this match. While we're complimenting presentation, though, which is something that I've done a lot already, yeah. and we're only two matches into the main <laughs> card. <laughs> Do uh, we need another glass of Kool-Aid for you, j Um I loved the way that, I agree with that this, Nyla Rose was just presented as any other competitor. They, they did, did not put a spotlight on the fact that this is the first transgendered competitor in a women's match on a major company show in history. Like, Thank goodness. They, they just treated her like she was any other woman, yep. and that made it feel even more important that you're not putting a spotlight on it. You're not hanging a lampshade on it. You're just treating her as a member of your division. I thought she was pretty rad. Yeah, I thought, I thought she was... One, she was sort of a weak performer in the match, but I, not weak. Her power I, spots were definitely better than Kong's. Yeah, true. And that was a match that benefited from having power spots. That's definitely true. Um, I'd like to say this about uh, that in general. Well, I, sorry, I'm going to go into a bit of a bigger point here, so it. I do apologize. But something that I just love about AEW, and I hope that they continue into infinity, and I know that we have some other MMA fans who, who listen to the show, and I wonder if you, you felt similarly about this. The lead-up, to the show press conferences and scrums, and then the post-show press conferences and scrums. This is my preferred way to take in 
an event. I like the the coverage leading up, and I like the the coverage exiting. And it. that's how real sports are covered. Uh, absolutely. Look, I made this point. Hang on, on hang I really, I gotta yeah, finish yeah, this. Yeah, go, go ahead. But what Cody said to this about because uh, he was asked about the diversity and Nyla Rose and all these sort of having things. a show that had almost fifty percent people of color on it, and which is you know as it should be. Yeah. Uh, but he says. You know, I, I'm happy if people want to make that part of our identity, but you will not see AEW bragging about that. Like, And he told this great anecdote about having his eyes open by his wife. He's like, I'm in a, a multiracial yeah. relationship. I told Brandy, I don't see color. And she said, then you don't see my experience. Which is profound and completely accurate. A quote um, that was so powerful, it got quote tweeted by Alexandria Ocasio-Cartez. So great. AOC, come on top, Marks. Who's voting for Oscasio Cortez Rhodes 2022? Absolutely. Huh? <laughs> That's but, the American dream. But <laughs> nicely done. But I am such a fan of of this this pre and post content, and I loved Cody's answer there, where it's like, I'll happily take that if people want to say it. But again, I don't. You're not going to hear on the broadcast us bragging about that because I think that's weird. And, but yeah, and that's exactly right, Cody. And, and contrast that with. Stephanie McMahon yeah. on the record saying philanthropy is the future of public relations. <laughs> that you will get advertising out of being good in the public eye. That's, that's fucked. Yeah, it's that's such a like disgusting quote. It's really bad. Yeah, and um, and to hear just, the opposite, and was... she just said that like it was like no no big deal to just say that at a, at a marketing conference. I'm sure to her it is no big deal because yeah. she's an insane person just like the old man. But I, I thought this match was was pretty loose to be honest I, I didn't like a ton of it it got really good towards the end when we took out both of the yeah. monsters on the outside and we were left with Britt and Kylie and I was really impressed on multiple occasions here with the speed mm. that Kylie worked at yeah because it it heightens the impact of her moves mm -hmm. there were multiple times where she got in offense I think she hit a flip on Nyla at one point okay where I, w I legit said wow because like they Sometimes did it, you just gotta say wow. They did it so fast that it was like I can't believe that just happened. Yeah. And um, another big uh, highlight was obviously uh, Britt kicking the bow right out of Kylie's yep, hair. Yeah, that was great. I really did like Kylie a lot as a worker in this match. I will say though that she's gotta tone down her mannerisms. Very theater kid. The character work of her like performing is almost vaudeville playing to the back of the audience. And I understand that this is probably the first time she's ever worked a big televised event. So if you're going to work indies and work in bars and any number of different venues that you have to work at on the indie circuit, that probably works. That doesn't translate to a TV product. She needs to realize that we have a camera on her. Yep. We are right there with her. She does not to need to be overplaying all of the emotional beats. Yeah, it just comes across as very drama kid to Absolutely. me, right? And but, and, but her but, actual ring work was tremendous. So I do want to make that distinction. Let's move on here, uh, Madman. As the best friends took on Angelico and Jack Evans. The fun, fun-ass match. Uh, I loved how Angelico and Jack Evans, both guys who I'm reasonably familiar with. Angelico. Uh, Angelico. And they... But they, they saved all of the, the awesome stuff for the end of the match. These guys were just clear-cut heels against the best friends of the first half of these matches. For guys who genuine, generally work a lucha style, yeah. I was impressed to see that. Like, I figured it must have been a told thing. It's like, they're going to stop the hug. They're going to stop the flashy offense. And great storytelling to tease us with the hug early yeah. and then give it to us at the end. It's uh, I thought I thought Trent Beretta really uh, shined bright in this Trent match. Trent looked fucking 
unbelievable. Yeah, it looked if, like, if you told me like Trent Barreto was going to get a big singles push in AEW, I'd be like. And Chuck Taylor's actually probably the guy that I I prefer generally, even though I hated the old finisher so much. But he's mm-hmm. so much personality, so much fun, right? Oh, his facial reactions. I know I just slammed Kylie's character work. Chuck's facial reactions to the refs every time he was told <laughs> he got a kick out or whatever. Like he sells everything perfectly. Totally, his character work is exceptional. But but I must say it was Trent that I left this match. He's uh, the body man. He yeah. looked like a million bucks in this match. And, and the spots were good. And a lot of that does go to Angelico, Angelico and Jack Evans. But really fun match. I thought this was, to this point in the card, the best match on the show. But we were going to get to improving. But really, really impressed by two two flashy workers spending 80% of the match holding themselves in and then finally letting it go to create like some excitement in the finish. Really liked this and match. And to quote the Black Keys, you know what the sun's all about when the lights go out. Wow. Boom. Dark for a little while and then the lights come back on we've got a mystery tag team in the ring and then the lights go out again and then the lights come back on and we've got <laughs> luchas all around the ring everywhere an army of quote-unquote heartless yes. around this mystery tag team that was never identified on the broadcast we know that they're the super smash bros they probably did not call them that in in part because it's good to have mystery and not explain everything yeah. on, a, on a show and leave you coming back to find out what happened there. And certainly they left you with a visual that made you want to come back in an enormous way. But also probably not going to be able to be called the Super Smash Bros. Yeah. Because I've always thought Nintendo that would Nintendo will probably yeah. have some problems with that. I do just want to call attention to exactly what that visual was, which was they had all of these heartless, these masked shirtless guys. First of all, the Super Smash Bros. destroyed all four competitors. In of the course, ring. yes. And it was awesome. The moves that they were hitting were sick. And if you didn't see the match, let me describe the Super Smash Bros. for you in one moment. One of them... <laughs> One of them looks like Oni Lorcan if he was a member of the Viking Experience. True. And the other one looks like Tucker Knight if he was a luchador. I agree with the first. I don't agree with the second. <laughs> Tucker Knight's got a good body. This okay, guy, fine, This fair. guy is... is I like I like that look, I, but he's more Killian Dane to me than he sure, is. Uh, maybe the luchador Killian Dane. I think maybe that's a little closer. But but this visual was they have all these heartless enter the ring and they go on their hands and knees and stand around making a throne. A for, human throne. I for thought, our tag team to sit down on. I thought this was such a good visual. It might have been the best visual on the entire show. I, I don't agree, but spare one other. It, it would have been. Actually, there's two other big visuals on this show, but yes, like that is right up there. So simple, costs literally nothing other than whatever pittance you're paying those Lucha guys to come up with like a, a compelling visual that was unlike anything I'd ever seen. I thought it was so cool. Jim, I want to ask you this because uh, I was on our Top Marks Twitter timeline, as I sometimes uh, mm-hmm. do, and I went after the show. And so I like doing this where it's like because I avoid the spoilers and I get on. It's like, okay, what were people saying? Yeah. A lot of people – and I didn't take it this way, so please tell me if I'm just wrong here because I easily could be. The who are you chants that the, the Super Smash Bros. were getting, people people mm-hmm. didn't realize in the audience. I saw a lot of people saying, oh, that's negative. Boy, that's bad for them. They got the lights out entrance and the lights on and no, no. one knew who these guys were. No, I didn't take good. it. Yeah, yeah. I took it like that. I didn't think it was a bad thing at all. I was like, no, they this feels – know. Okay, good. So, they want to know and we want to know. Yeah, that's And exact- we're going to tune in to Fighter Fest to find out. That, that's exactly right. So I didn't think it was a negative thing. Like, oh, poor Super Smash Bros. I was like, I don't know. I no, feel like it was an interest thing. I would have been. I would have felt much worse about it if we'd come out of that and 
commentary was like, I know exactly who those guys are, and I'm going to repeat it to you three times in a row. What are the Superior Smashing Brothers doing in the Elite Zone? <laughs> like, that that would have been much worse than just, like, your, how could your interest not be piqued by what you just saw? Yeah, I, I again, I loved the visual. I thought the Who Are You actually added to it. But again, that was just me in the moment. I'd love to know, at Top Mark's Pod, if you thought this was a negative thing. Very interested. JMO. A six-woman tag team match up next here. Here's where I will say, I know I just said commentary did not spell things out in the previous match, and I like that. Commentary should have done more to spell things out in this match. Sure. Because when we got to the finish, which was um, one of the... Can you tell me who got the pinfall on who? It doesn't even say on Wikipedia. Uh, Hikaru Shida is, is listed first, and okay. there's the two Rihos were the winning team. Uh, Hikaru is the one who got the pin, I'm pretty sure, in the end. I'll take your word for it. Over... Apparently, the woman who trained her. So it was oh, like yeah. it was trainee versus mentor in a generational battle. But I don't <laughs> recall ever being told that until she pinned her at the end of the match. Oh yeah, I need that information earlier. If you're gonna tell me that at the end, invest me in that story throughout. I will say though, I thought that uh, a lot of what they did in this match was very good. Mm, I loved this uh, match. Uh, Aja Kong, uh, uh, I did not think was. I liked her. Tremendous. She looked a little bit like, uh, you know, visually she had the face paint of Ultimate Warrior and the <laughs> outfit of King Mabel. So I, I thought she was the better Kong on this show. Oh, definitely. <laughs> definitely. And it was fun to see her. But I, there were moments where um, she would go to pin one of the Rihos, yep. uh, the one who looked like... Um, Fred Mercury? <laughs> no, no. The other one. Who was, Are you laughing because I call him Fred? Yeah. <laughs> I love doing that. <laughs> the, there was a, the one of the women looked like uh, Kyrie Sane wearing a tutu. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's I've, very small. Yep. And she had to go up against Aja quite a bit. And there were kickouts of her pinning Aja where it didn't look like Rio actually kicked out. It just looked like yep. Aja sat up. That yeah, that that that, that happened more than once in the match. Multiple times. Absolutely. Um, yeah. No, I agree. I, I still really like this match. There's one moment in this match that I've never seen before and I thought was awesome. Uh, once again, I'm not familiar enough with the competitors to tell you which of the, the competitors it was. But one of them, the one dressed as Fred Mercury, tries to get the We Will Rock You stomp, stomp, clap. Yeah. Stomp, stomp, clap. Stomp, stomp, clap. I was like, how has no one done this in wrestling before? I thought this was this was a stroke of genius to me. Yeah. It's like, how has no one done this? Crowd starts going. I felt like it completed the gimmick of yeah, the... Yeah, the heel team was like... Freddie Mercury teaming with Aja Kong, teaming with a woman who looked like she was dressed in a combination of Aladdin and Jasmine as one costume. <laughs> that's, that's exact. You said that, that I fully agree. <laughs> I will say, though, this is another thing, another a nitpicky thing, but there, there were a bunch on the show that do add to some sort of total. I thought it was bad agenting to have Chris Daniels open the show with the, the mic on a stick and say, you can't stop me now, quoting Queen, and then mm -hmm. later on in the show, three match later, also have somebody doing a Freddie Mercury yeah, evocative thing. It's like, okay, that's something that... But again, too much. It, it takes away from one of them, no, yes. no matter what. But uh, the we will rock you, stomp and clap. I don't know if maybe she does this every match. Mm. Outstanding to me for whatever reason. I thought this was probably the weakest match on the show, but I still enjoyed really? it a great deal. Oh wow! I, I definitely preferred this to uh, to the prior women's match for oh, sure. Oh really? Yeah, definitely. Uh, but both of them paled in comparison. Maybe it's just because I wasn't invested because I literally did not know who any of the women were. Totally fair. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. But the work rate was very good. Here's something I think we can both agree on, is that the best match of the night is the one that we're about to talk about here. As, uh, Maybe the best match of the year. Not for me, but but extremely good. From entrances to post-match all the way through, yeah. like not just bell to bell, 
I think I'm going to have a hard time coming up with something that made me buy in, made me push my chips in, hey. made me go all in more than this. This was fucking phenomenal. We're, of course, talking about Cody with Brandy Rhodes taking on his brother, uh, Dustin Rhodes, formerly Goldust, in a... Well, I suppose we the, the entrances really are part of it, right, Jamo? So we should probably talk about yes. this. Well, first of all, a production element I did love, even though it's like poaching from old Impact, which is, you know... Tricky as hell, but the two separate entrances for competitors, one mm-hmm. tunnel, one ramp, I think that's a good, I like that. Um, but but so Cody comes out, and I don't know, Jamo, you're the play-by-play guy, you're probably better at explaining uh, this. There was a lot of darkness for yeah. a, while, a while, because it took them a little while to set up the, the big piece of set that was getting laid out on the stage, which when the lights came up was revealed to be a throne. Which was Obviously meant to uh, be evocative of Triple H. Yes, it was basically the Triple H style cross logo, but without the H's inside of it. Yep. On pikes, a bunch of skulls coming off of it on mm-hmm. spears, and yes, a very, very, very much the typical sort of Triple H pomp WrestleMania entrance yep. sort of thing. And uh, you see this throne, and then Cody's music hits. You get that. Little quote stinger at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Wrestling only has one royal family. And then you hear the music, which is perfect. His music is so good. Oh, I, I so disagree really, on this. I love his oh. theme. It's very. It feels very JRPG to me. Sure. And it matched his costume. It matches his, his general, like, over-the-top evil heel persona. I think everything about that is working in, in harmony with each other. But it you, feels yeah. to me it feels to me a lot like Gargano's theme, where it's almost, like, too lighthearted for what's about to come. Fair. Um, but, but, but again, that's a very small thing and obviously not changing. But And then not to take away from this entrance, which it, I know was sort of divisive, but I love. It feels like a song that would play over the end credits of, like, Star Ocean. <laughs> when you said it's, like, reminding you of a JRPG, it's like, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't want to make it sound like I didn't like this entrance. I know it was divisive. I loved this entrance. He comes out in an awesome coat with this massive Badass. flowing cape off the back of it. Big gold gauntlets on his wrists. Walks to the ring. Uh, they get to the ring. Brandy pulls up the ring apron. Goes down. Pulls out the sledgehammer. Triple H's signature weapon, of course. Hands it to Cody. Cody takes it. Looks back up the ramp at the throne walks back all the way up the ramp. We get one of the best shots of the entire broadcast. The best shot of the entire broadcast. Which is Cody. He's got the sledgehammer on his shoulder. He's looking at it. Should he do it? What should it is? Is this the right move or not? He turns around. He looks back at the crowd, and you get a shot from the stage that looks over his shoulder as he's seeing the entire arena, this entire... All of the fans at his back. And he turns back around and he faces the crowd and he faces the camera. And we cut to a a different shot from behind as he swings the sledgehammer into the throne. And the throne explodes and shatters and falls to pieces. Yeah. And then his music. Well, Hank, we we should pause there. It did. (laughs) One piece came off the throne. Maybe maybe two pieces. It looked like there was supposed to be more. Well, I think the second piece was supposed to go. Like the one corner goes and the other one like sort of. Lodges and doesn't move. Yeah, I did think that hurt it a little bit. It was still cool though. I agree. And it, and the shot that preceded it was so good that I'm willing to overlook that. Mm-hmm. And, but his music also kicked up again in that moment. The wrestling only has one royal family. The uh, metaphor being uh, relayed here entirely unsubtle. 
I fucking loved this. Yeah, it, 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 I was almost surprised to see the divisiveness on it because a bunch of my friends thought it was like way overreaching and super corny. And I could I could understand what they're saying there. Mm-hmm. I just know, and even if I revisited it, I, I might see it that way. But in the moment, there was something very like clear cut about it. Where and and again, I think that was the best shot of the show when he's like looking behind him. Maybe I'm reading too far into this, but but it's kind of why I have a podcast. I'm like do these things. <laughs> uh, I thought very much it was very symbolic of me of like. I'm burning the bridge. Like, that is behind me. Like, there is no going back now. Like, this, uh, that was my past. I'm looking back. This is the future. I'm destroying my past. I'm looking to all these people and this ring, and this is my future. And I I thought it was very great. I know that you're going to want to fight me about this because we've argued about (laughs) it all week long. But within the context of a match that is entirely a tribute to their father, almost a eulogy for their father, a throwback to the exact style of match that he used to work in his glory days, it is a perfect metaphor that fits exactly with the messaging of everything that match was about to say, fuck you, to the guy who is sitting on the throne about to be crowned king of wrestling Essentially on the back of a lot of Dusty's work in NXT. Okay, continue. I mean, it's just such a bad take. To to say that there is only one man worthy of that crown, and you ain't it. I thought that really worked for me. Yeah. uh, Yeah, I don't know how worth getting into the... the, That Triple H tries to get over on Dusty stuff there is. That's on Twitter. (laughs) At Tom McFarland, you can see in the comments. Uh, I disagree with that. I, I think... I think it even gives Dusty too much credit. It's like the, the WWE system is a combination of everything that worked in the territories. And to put that just onto Dusty and then complain that NXT honors him, but somehow that means the main roster appropriates him. It's like, do you want NXT to not do the Dusty thing? I don't want to have this conversation again. <laughs> it's, it's a stinker. But, but within, I'm saying within the metaphor of what is being relayed, not just in the entrance, but the match, that really worked for me. And you can argue with my reading of that, but that's what I came away with. I thought it worked. Let's talk about the between the ropes, though, because we have no disagreement here. Oh, my God. Unbelievable. Uh, I rewatched this match yesterday, which I I think I've said on the show. I do very rarely with that short period of time. Usually it's months before I revisit a match. I Mm. I, I could be wrong about this, but I think the last one I did it for was Gargano and Almas. It was the last time I watched a match within two days or or whatever. Uh, I don't know if this was like a talking point coming out or if I just didn't see it. I know everyone loved this match, so I guess they did, but I thought Dustin Rhodes was... Unbelievable this match. Like leaving it, I was like, oh, these brothers did such a good job. And I'm not trying to take credit away from Cody, and I know it's sort of hard to praise one sometimes without feeling like you're taking away from the other. But like there's really no reason that Dustin Rhodes should be able to get it done at that level at his not only his age, but his age with those miles. Like Dustin Rhodes has been a wrestler. He's been throwing himself at the ground for I don't even know how many years. I mean he gold dust of late, probably over the last fifteen years or so, is probably not something that's been generally taxing on his body because no, a lot yeah. of it has been character driven and sure. being a goofball. I don't know how many like extreme bumps he's had to take no. since like 2004 <laughs> essentially. But not even extreme. Like the guys the guys in his 40s. Like he's yeah. working the house show matches and whatnot. So Yeah. It, and it, and and there is something shocking for sure when you consider the fact that like this was a rivalry that was built up in WWE that in 2015 got 8 minutes and 55 seconds on the pre-show for Fastlane, ended with a distraction <laughs> roll up and the feud was pulled from WrestleMania. Four Insane. years later. Insane. Four years later, and four years is a hell of a long time when you're Dustin Rhodes' age, 
They get the time. They get 25 minutes or so, something like that. I believe it's 23. 20, uh, 22.50, maybe? It is 22.30. Nicely done. Okay. Uh, 22.30, and they deliver a match of the year contender. This that was- is... That is it. Like so many other things on uh, this show, and we'll get to it in the main event in particular, a indictment of the judgment of Vince McMahon. You had all these guys, and you threw this away. It, that's absolutely true. Uh, and, and, and sorry, not to linger on Dustin here, but how many guys can you think of? Because I've thought about this this week mm-hmm. so, since yesterday. How many guys have had their best career match, which I think this was for Dustin Rhodes? Absolutely. Uh, how many guys have that in their 40s? Forget about 47. How many wrestlers' best match can you look at and it's exiting their 30s? I could not think of anyone besides Dustin Rhodes. And I think that is the indictment on WWE, that this guy was under you the whole time, had this in him. And, and listen, you, you said it's like, oh, maybe you'll take a victory lap on Ambrose. I'm not going to. But I, I hope people are paying attention because I know that I take heat for this on the show sometimes. It's not all work rate. It's not all flips. It's not all ricochet versus Osprey. Like, you can't reach the levels of Cody and Dustin in that style. Yeah. You cannot. It's never been done. And I know that there's pushback on that. But I feel like this match really got across what is so good and why psychology and storytelling and characters are always number one in wrestling. It's not about the kicks and the punches. Yeah. A 630 is impressive as hell. But if it's 4 nothing, I'm never going to respond to it like I did in Cody Dustin. Period. And Cody has clearly identified that the number one thing he has to offer to any match as a wrestler, his number one strength is as an actor. Yeah, his psychology. Yes. And and so he has developed... We've watched him do it since he left WWE because he is radically different right now from the guy who left WWE four years ago. Oh, yeah. He has developed this essentially 80s-style main event... Yep. Uh, style of work and and it is perfect for him it suits his strengths and beyond that it differentiates him from everyone else in AEW well and this is what AEW uh, on whole and again we still have matches to talk about here but something that was you know extremely good is this was that buffet of pro wrestling the the top three matches in in Cody Dustin the Bucks versus the Lucha Bros and then Omega Jericho which you know say what you want about it three entirely different styles all because you go oh you can't have these blow away matches because it's hard for them no they just have to be different they have to be different styles of blow away matches and what does this sound like to you this is exactly what we talked about when we talked about the The wrestlemania weekend takeover exactly it's almost exactly what we talked about when we talked about this year's wrestle kingdom as well yep you need to have a different yeah it's like a buffet it's mm-hmm. like it's like going for dim sum you yeah. have all of these different dishes it's a tapas bar of wrestling <laughs> if one match doesn't appeal to your sensibilities and your style wait 15 minutes you'll get exactly what you want if Cody Rhodes becomes the guy who is working this 80s NWA story-driven style, I mean, his matches will be the ones that I'm looking forward to most on these AEW cards. And that's that's baffling, given their roster. So And, and like, baffling, given the way you felt about Cody if we rewind even two oh, years. He, he, he has a shot to be... I still don't think I'm ever going to connect with Cody Rhodes like I, I will some of my real favorite guys. Mm-hmm. But, but in terms of, like, the turnaround... Yeah. 
I mean, it's it's jarring. So really hats off to these guys. Hats off to Dustin Rhodes for somehow being able to do moves. I wonder, if, I wonder if we revisited the uh, Ibushi match from Wrestle Kingdom if you'd look at it different. Because I, I fucking love his character work in that match, too. Uh, but I really like that match. Yeah, same. So, but, but the WWE, I think if I revisited the WWE work, I would probably yeah, be a exactly, very similar guy. Exactly, for sure, for sure. Uh, let's talk about the Bucks and the... Oh, anything else you want to say about this one? Uh, the Really t- strong. Uh, you know, the, the amount of blood... Yeah, incredible. We gotta Fri- talk about the post Frightening match. at times, very frightening. Multiple times. Anytime he went down, oh. you could just see it pouring off his face onto the ring. It's so worth it in the end. Look, ultimately, we we talk about blood being uh, gratuitous at times. Mm-hmm. Uh, that guys take uh, disgusting things that they don't need to do. They blade for audiences that don't require it. Yep. When when this is everything that we just talked about, a tribute to their father, a uh, uh, you know the ultimate salute to Dusty Rhodes and yep. everything they did in his I can't think of a match ever in history where blading and blading to the extent that he did is more of an artistic choice. Oh, interesting. That suits the match perfectly yeah. than what he did. Yeah, I, I there's other blood spots that I love, but in terms of what you're saying like as an artistic choice, mm-hmm. yeah. You, you, oh yeah, you, yeah, like obviously like Austin versus Brett. Yeah, that one obviously comes to mind and does feel like part of the story. But I, I do know what you're saying, and I think I think there's there's really some merit to that. We got to talk about the post match. Incredible promo from Cody. Very, and this is where Cody the actor stepped in. Very much. So. Um, there were people uh, crying in the in the live audience for uh, this. All Cody, three commentators were crying. Cody and Dustin both crying. I mean, I presume Dustin said he was crying, but couldn't really see it because his entire face was red. <laughs> but that's that's neither here nor well, there. Fuck, just his ability, even because you were complimenting how good he was in this match. Before we move on, um, I do need to say his ability to put himself in position to both give and receive moves in a situation where he is bleeding to such an extent that he is essentially blind and cannot see anything is incredible. It's a pure resume builder for what a veteran wrestler can do. Absolutely. Because he can do that with his eyes closed. Yeah. He, he knows where the spots are. He knows you, the size of a ring. You can even see in multiple places like they're feeling each other out, literally. Yep. Um, and it worked it, because that, that sort of thing did not feel sloppy. It felt like, like, look at this man bleeding out. Obviously, he's going to be a little bit you know, grabby yeah. in his offense. It was perfect. Really fun match. Uh, the, it ends with Cody. Go watch the promo if you haven't seen it. But Cody inviting his brother to be his tag team partner uh, at an upcoming pay-per-view, which is the least emotional way I could get across what he said to his brother. But you should go watch it because I'm not going to deliver it near as well as Cody Rhodes. He sold the shit out of that moment. It was uh, great. Yeah. Just tremendous. Everything that you want from pro wrestling was in this match. Young Bucks versus the Lucha Brothers. I don't mean this in a bad way at all. It's exactly the match you think it is. <laughs> if you have not seen it, if you saw Lucha Brothers versus Young Bucks on a poster, this is what's going to happen. Uh, there were a couple people I saw making the case after this match that Phoenix might be better than Penta. and In this match he was, but on general, that's just a lack of watching them wrestle. <laughs> fair, it's fair. I was very impressed with Ray Phoenix in this match. But oh, there yeah. were also multiple spots in this match that frightened the shit out of me. <laughs> yeah. Like the Canadian Destroyer on the ring apron. I don't even know which Jackson took that bump. It was horrifying. There there was a lot of... Uh, and again, these if, if Cody's your your 80s NWA guy, this the Young Bucks are your spot fest. fest. Yeah. That's that's what you're getting here. And who's who's better partners for them than the Lucha Bros oh, in that uh, respect, match right? Match made in heaven. It, it's, it, I find it hard to talk about this match a little bit because the, the story of it really isn't all that clear besides the AAA tag team titles are on the line. I was surprised that the Young Bucks retained only because 
I figured it would go back they're, onto the guys who have the relationship with Triple A. Have another match in Mexico. Yeah, that and then I suppose presumably that's where they they take it back. But obviously a great match, great work right here. I've said this before on the show, and it, it struck me again. The Young Bucks have never been like my absolute guys, but but they. Alistair Black also comes to mind for this, but in terms of the word smooth as wrestlers, who are smooth wrestlers? The Young Bucks are fucking smooth, man. And look, we just called them the Spot Fest guys, but even like their reputation for the longest time was it's all spots, no psychology. Yeah. I thought the psychology and the storytelling of this match as, you know, Matt and Nick trying to look out for each other, but yep. being like a second off and hitting each other with all their, like, you know, the, the commentary kept saying they're their own worst enemy. They keep hitting each other. Yep. They're doing more damage to each other than their opponents are. Perfect. Yeah. I, it, the, the, the fact that they didn't start to click until the home stretch of this match, it was it was – just excellently told. I loved the the tip of the cap to the Motor City Machine Guns, guys who the Young Bucks must have wrestled 4,000 times uh, using their finisher. Does get a kick out. but uh, And then finally finishing with a Meltzer driver. Super fun match. I, I won't, like, it was, it was, yeah, exactly what I thought it was going to be in some ways. It's It certainly wasn't Cody Dustin. Like, it was, it's weird to have, like, the Spot Fest tag match be, like, the cool off for mm -hmm. me, but that, that was how I felt. And it's funny, uh, as we approach the main event here, mm -hmm. before we get there, we should talk about the Bret Hart segment, which I'm Ooh. not sure where that actually fell in the I'm match. not sure either, but. I but think it was before the Cody Dustin match. That, that sounds about right. In between that and the women's, uh, the six-woman tag. Mm -hmm. uh, Bret Hart comes out. He's got uh, the, the AEW championship belt to debut. What does it look like, JMO? It uh, it looks like a cross <laughs> between the WCW Big Gold yep. and the Million Dollar Man's title, <laughs> yes. basically, in the way that it has five segments on it. But you would have never known that from the broadcast. Yeah, because... <laughs> Bret Hart, for whatever reason, despite the fact that he was very enthusiastically jumping at a chance to stick it to Vince McMahon, apparently forgot how to present to a hard camera. Because, look, there was shenanigans during this segment. Yep. We introduced a lot of our mid-card, ostensibly, as Adam Page was brought down to the ring to yep. take a look at the belt that he was going to be challenging the winner of the main event for. Mm -hmm. And uh, before he could really come out and do that, he's walking out with a limp, obviously. He's a little banged up after yep. his matches with Pac and with, uh, you know, the whatever happened in the Battle Royal earlier. Mm -hmm. MJF comes out to make the case that you cannot have this man challenge oh. for the title. We agree. Best part of the segment was MJF? Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, please continue. MJF comes out. You cannot have this man challenge for the title. He's an injured horse. He needs <laughs> to be put down like you would a horse. Send him to the glue factory. Tremendous stuff. I thought MJF was great here. And you, and if you're going to like kick him out, then it should be me who gets the shot. Because I was the second to last guy in that battle royal. Uh, Which... All great heels have, like, a seed of truth. Mm -hmm. And MJF kind of playing, like, a, a Miz-like character. Well, he's playing exactly a Miz-like yeah. character. Uh, wearing his typical Burberry scarf, uh, being the the rich guy who hates all of the commoners. Yep. Wonderful worker, wonderful performer, tremendous character. Uh, to counter him, though, out came, uh, as he's running his mouth, was it Jungle Boy first? Yeah, Jungle Boy comes first. And the I thought the pop could have been bigger for Jungle Boy. Announcers put over the fact that this is Luke Perry's son. Yeah, the late, great Luke Perry, they say. Which I think is the right thing to play up. Yep. And then as uh, MJF tries to get out of Dodge and uh, avoid Jungle Boy and uh, an angered Adam Page, yep. 
he also runs into uh, Jimmy Havoc. Jimmy Havoc. Who I thought looked magnificent. Jimmy Havoc, who uh, Jim Ross called a walking, talking human death match. Correct. <laughs> Terrific description of the look. Jimmy Havoc looked incredible. I'm going to compliment this segment, even though we're going to denigrate it, because while all of this chaos was going down and these three guys were attacking MJF, who then ran out through the crowd, um, but there was a lot of scarf-related offense. A lot. Which was yeah. great. Uh, during all of the chaos, Bret Hart pulls the title out and debuts it to bring the focus back to the ring, but he's looking at the scuffle, which means he's not looking at the camera, and it seemed like every time the on-the-fly cameraman tried to adapt their angle to get a good shot at where Brett was presenting the title, he would then turn his body, and so we never could see the title that Brett was holding. Look at the fucking hard camera! How how difficult is that? Folks, this was so bad that it almost looked intentional. Like, to me, it's like, Brett Hart was like... Not going to see it. it, it was, Not going to see it. It was like the uh, segment of uh, For Your Health with Dr. Steve, <laughs> Steve Brule, Brule, of where Brule is just like actively looking away <laughs> from every camera, and it's just like quick cuts for 45 <laughs> exactly. seconds. That's what it was with this title that we could not get a clean look at. But I will say... What I loved about this segment is that not only did it give you a good idea of what AEW television will look and feel like in terms of who these characters are and how they will occupy time on television, by having one belt, just one, and no secondary title, and making it the most important belt to every character on the show... That does a lot to elevate that title. Oh, for sure. Like, even more than having Kenny and Jericho going after it, having everyone go after it not only elevates the belt, but it's exactly what we always talk about when we look at the Attitude Era and what what worked about building stars in the Attitude Era versus today. There were eight or nine guys in the WWF championship pitcher that could conceivably be champion at any given time. If AEW can replicate that, and I do think that they can, even just off the strength of that one segment, that's a big boost to your company. So I didn't think the segment worked as well as you did, I don't think. It was a little bit like unclear, but I liked it better in function than form. I thought everybody looked good, mm-hmm. and like you say, I thought it did a great job of introducing these guys. I just thought it was like kind of sloppy and unclear what they yeah, were all fair. doing that's there, but, but it worked. This would be another small production thing where I think they have space to improve. Bret Hart trying to show the belt. and What do you think of the look of the belt? This is the big question. You know, have you seen an actual Yeah, photo I saw a photo yet? of it. I like I'm, it. I'm kind of on the fence with it, to be honest. I think I have to see it around somebody, maybe. Fair. Um, it, it, looks, it looks regal, for sure. It looks expensive, which I like a lot. Mm-hmm. I, it reminds me a bit of the Gift for the Gods in, in Lucha Underground, like the multi-panel thing. And I like the, the Gift of the Gods. I don't know. It... it it didn't look the best on the broadcast, and I think maybe that's my lingering impression because I did see the photo yeah, that also, Cody tweeted out, and I was like, oh, that actually – because my impression on the show was like, oh, I thought that that might be a little better. And then I saw the, the way, photo. Even the way Bret Hart was lit, it made the belt look kind of purple. Yeah, and like and it's dark. Not. Yeah. It's not at all. So when I saw the photo, I was like, oh, that's much better than I thought it was. When I, I was watching, like how the AEW logo is all over the leather strap as yeah. well. I think that's a really cool touch. It's. I'll have a harder take on what it looks like once I see it around somebody. But Fair. but my initial instinct on the broadcast was, eh, but the picture, I was like, oh, better than I was expecting. Yeah, I liked it. I like it. Jim, we've got to talk about this main event. We do. And it's funny because this main event is the first piece of this show that both you and I watched. Because we were, of course, oh, right. watching the Toronto Raptors yes. win game six and advance to the NBA Finals. Go Raps. And then Raps as soon four. as the Raps game ended, 
We both hopped on a stream yeah. to watch that main event lickety split. So yeah, we, we the timing literally couldn't have been better. Like the Raps game ended, and I switched to a perfectly legal pay per view. Purchased it. The whole works just <laughs> for one match. And uh, and and I mean, like Kenny was starting his walkout when I flipped over. I was like, oh, this is so serendipitous. What a lovely day. Yeah. Um, I have some problems with this match. Sure. But I think the match almost doesn't matter because it's shattered by the post match in such an incredible way. Yeah. I, I think that uh, Alpha Omega won blows this Absolutely match out of does. the water. This was a little sloppy. I thought Jericho showed his age a little bit in this match. Jericho looked his age a little bit. Yeah, not, all that talk about Jericho, like he's like, oh, I'm taking this real seriously. And and <laughs> he did look like absolute shit in those, when he was, date that video debuting the Judas effect mm-hmm. where he's like throwing punches. I was like, do I throw better punches than Chris Jericho? <laughs> real punches, I yeah, mean. But yeah. but I thought... Let's get into a bar fight and find out. Yeah, I've done enough of that, actually. That's like, <laughs> go, go talk to Brock Wiederich, Matt Prince. They, they don't need any more of that. Um, but but I don't want to critique the match too hard. It had a lot to live up to. The two matches before it I thought were much better. I just thought Jericho was kind of slow. There were some legitimate like botches in this match, which mm-hmm. I thought were weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, the three lion salts back-to-back got progressively worse like the first one looked okay it was like he was getting tired and the third one was like very <laughs> horizontal I, I, I'm coming across more negative than I felt about the match but it is hard when they build it as like the sequel yeah. and the first imagine if like Omega Okada 2 was like very flat you know what yeah, I mean the, f- the funny thing is though because I think objectively this is one of the weaker matches on the card yeah and if I were to watch the, sh- the card from start to finish in order the way that people did live yes I might be down on it but because this was my <laughs> yeah this was my first taste of the production and presentation of this product, something that I have clearly been very positive about for yep. the entire time we've been talking about this show, I really liked it. I really liked the commentary team even, which I know has been a big point of controversy and argument for people. That On both sides, though. I've yeah. seen people saying it's great and people saying it sucks. I thought Marvez added almost nothing. But that's that's not his fault, though. Because no. like Marvez, Khan talked about this in his pre-interview. Do you know how Tony Khan makes his money? Like I know his dad owns the thing, but do you know what his business was? No. So he did like uh, quick stats for the NFL, NBA, and MLB. So he has like some system where like those statistics that pop up on the show yeah. are there. So apparently Marvez's role, once they start to build data in for AEW, he's going to be like the stats guy. They're going to bring the Khan system for these other sports and into AEW. Yeah, but they need the stats first because they don't have any yeah. AEW stats. So how often does this finisher work? This sort of thing. How long are his matches generally? Does he get better as it goes on or is he a fast starter? So apparently that's going to be Marvez's role more in the future. So I don't want to be too hard on him here because like he was basically just like, we're trending on Twitter. Like the, He just had to do the he, nonsense. He just felt flat. He had like he did not have the energy of a broadcaster. No. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and there was look, one bad commentary moment we both noticed. Yes, which is that they did not call Din's fire. Not one single guy of the three on this broadcast team knew the name of the finisher of the founder of the company. <laughs> this this was shocking to me. I looked at you while we were watching it. I was like, do they not know the name of Din's fire? They said like, what he a move. He got him. Or what a move. Like. He hit it. And it's like. First of all, is the wrestling mark in me I'm offended, but the Zelda mark in me is even madder. Now, granted, that was a Din's Fire that did look extra precarious, and I was quite concerned that Dustin had been dropped on his neck. So when yeah. the commentary was initially in a stunned silence, I was with them on that, yeah. but then it was pretty obvious that they just didn't know the name of it. It's kind of a shitty finisher, isn't it? I like it. It's very awkward to me. Yeah. I, I've never seen one, even the Ibushi one, I've never seen one where I'm like, Oh, wait, he didn't hit it on Ibushi. Who'd he, the, the, he debuted it against somebody. I forget who. There was a first one. I've just never felt... 
the, there were some bad finishers in this on this show. Jericho's Jer- what's it called? The Judas effect. Yeah. The if it were an actual spinning back elbow, that would be cool. He uses it as a look over your shoulder and run backwards yeah. at the guy. Not uh, good. I, I missed him hitting it, honestly. I looked away for a second and Got the it. match was over, and then they never gave us a replay of the finish. I, I can tell you why. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> he, ha- he has his head like behind, looking backwards, like runs backwards. The worst really Marvez moment, though, was easily at the very beginning of Cody versus Dustin when the crowd is chanting Dusty. Yes. And Marvez decides to step in yeah. and say... <laughs> The crowd is chanting Dusty in <laughs> honor of their father, the late Dusty Rhodes. Who's that? Uh, look, he <laughs> followed it up by saying, though I'm not sure if Dusty were looking down now, he would be particularly pleased with the way his boys are about to fight or right. whatever. Like, there is a point being made there, but it's introduced in such a stupid way <laughs> that feels like it's stepping on the emotion of the moment that you can just shut the fuck up and yeah. let something breathe. Well, that's a big part of commentary, right? Like, yeah. in all sports. But but I really liked Excalibur, and I really liked Jim Ross as well, and I would really like Jim Ross not being the lead play-by-play yeah, guy. Yeah, yeah. Because JR, as a play-by-play guy at this stage in his career, doesn't have it. But JR as a color guy is still fantastic. I'll say this about Excalibur, and this is what makes the Din's Fire thing so weird. I felt like he knew a lot of move names, like yeah. more than you hear called certainly in WWE or NXT. Uh, and he was like calling moves. I understand that this is a brand new trio who had never worked before before that sure, night. Yeah. So there's going to take some time to establish chemistry, but if I was in charge of the broadcast personally, yep. I would do everything that I can to get Mark Henry out of whatever WWE here, contract here. he's in and get Alex Marvez out of the booth Maybe put him ringside so that he can be your ringside reporter and present those stats from a different location. Yep. And your three-man booth should be Excalibur, Jim Ross, and the world's strongest man, Mark Henry. Well, I mean, you you knew as those words left your mouth that I might be the only person on earth you don't have to convince at all yeah. for Mark Henry involvement. But, like, that <laughs> Cody Rhodes question the, yeah. the, in the post-show scrum where he yeah. talked about inclusivity and diversity – who asked that question? It was Mark Henry. It sure was. Yep. And he was there as a reporter for Busted Open Radio. XM, yep. And he did a great job. He has legitimate reporting experience. He is a it, tremendous personality. He asked the best questions in every scrum, every single one. And he can tell stories. If you put him in that role, he will be dynamite in that role. WWE does not want to use him like that. Whatever fucking Legends contract or whatever capacity he exists on a WWE contract right now, Get him the hell out of there. Get him in your broadcast booth. May I paint a picture for you, Madman? Absolutely. The booth is sitting there. It's Marvez, JR, and Excalibur. This is it all out, okay? Okay. Mark Henry's their special guest. They're just having him there as, like, you know, he's, he's you know, a legend in the, in the industry. The yeah. world's strongest man. For personal friends with Cody Rhodes as yeah. well. He's sitting beside the booth, and the guy sort of go, you know, Mark, do you think you'd ever, you'd ever get into commentary? This is between the matches. And he goes... No, you know, guys, I I don't think I have it in me anymore. You know, it's been been a, a long time. And the current Marvez stands up to give him a hug. And he's like, you know what? Then we, we don't need you. Grabs Marvez. World's strongest slam. I got a lot left in the tank. As a commentator. <laughs> As a commentator. No, but like, yes, I, I think you're right that there is a role for Marvez to play here. And then it's not, it doesn't exist yet for him. Yeah. But just use him as your, like, Susie Colber. Like, throw down to him. Take your commentary to a different location to get that sort of statistical analysis and that sort of yep. pro sports presentation, it would also feel more like 
pro sports to have two distinctly different sure. commentary locations. Yeah, that's so there is something to that. And um, but yeah, we're not really talking about the main event here. JMO, do you remember an hour ago when we talked about former Dean Ambrose, now John Moxley, feeling pent up in prison, ready to unleash his true creative self? Yeah. Well, that man, would you believe if I told you, comes out after the main event as John Moxley, Mox written on his denim vest in, in his back, explosive, charismatic, slithering, mean, through the crowd, people's champ, angry, unleashed. Would I believe Whoa. that, Josh? Would I believe that? I think I would because I think I said right here on this very show both two weeks ago and one month ago that this is exactly how the show would end. How great was that? Even as someone who was expecting it, it was still fire. Incredible. Goosebump inducing. As he The fact that he hit the dirty deeds on the ref might have been the best part. It was so stone cold. This guy doesn't give a fuck yep. about anything. Perfect it, character moment. It, and I know that it, it, it's almost lame to do the Austin comparison because John Moxley isn't going to be stone cold. But, I mean... There's something about I mean, the dirty did, deeds. He did spend two hours this week telling Vince McMahon <laughs> to fuck off. <laughs> yeah, there's like, okay, maybe. stone cold. <laughs> but that the dirty deeds starts with the kick to the belly. Yeah. It's like you you cannot help but just – but but you know who else he really reminded me of in, in this return? Who? Which is funny because it's also a Steve Austin connection. But but Brian Pillman, like the – Yeah, he looks a lot like Pillman the, actually. Well, and just like the – He's not sitting still, you know. He's there's something something coming out of him. Uh, I Whenever thought, I see photos of Brian Pillman from the l- mid to late nineties, yeah, there's a lot of Dean energy coming off that guy. I I just or big Mox energy. I big say. Mox energy. I, I I just must say that you think of all and listen. I'm not trying to dump on WWE here, but you can think of returns that were botched or ways that big moments have been muted in ways that they shouldn't have been. Mm-hmm. This maximized what they had in John Moxley. Well, and the funny thing is, he talked uh, on Jericho's show about wanting to do this. Yep. As his at return SummerSlam. when he came back at SummerSlam, and and the fact that they they stretched the mileage to go, he hits Omega. Yeah. Or sorry, rather, he, he hits, hits Jericho, Jericho, hits the ref, and then brawls with Omega. So much exits this, and yes. then afterwards they release a clip of him getting into it with Janela. Yeah. This guy in one night gets every fan behind him, sparks, feels like the biggest guy. Sparks and has three feuds. Three feuds. Sp- four if you want to count the ref. <laughs> four if you want to count the ref. <laughs> I, I just thought in terms of like not bungling something, I can you think of a way to have done this better? No. Me neither. This went off the show. Yep. This went off the air with, I think, the best finish to a pay-per-view since Seth cashed in in the main event of WrestleMania. I cannot remember feeling so energized to tune in and watch a product going forward than I did since that moment. Look, there have been good pay-per-views that have ended in very satisfying ways. Seth versus Roman in the main event of Money in the Bank that That ends with the Dean cash-in. That was a very satisfying show to watch. Can I pitch a couple that came to mind? absolutely. That one, the Money in the Bank. Uh, Owens powerbombing Zayn after the the Neville match. Yep. And um, uh, oh shoot, I had three yesterday, and a third one. <laughs> How do you respond to those three, James? Uh, I would say that they're they're all close, but, but this might have been yeah. on another level. It was. Yeah, I don't think that's crazy to say at all. I I just really want to hats off to AEW, even though I have lots of complaints with the show. I thought this introduction of John Moxley was sublime. I am so excited to, to see what they do with him and go forward. His post-show promo was tremendous oh, as well. Oh, my gosh. 
uh, putting out Janela's cigarette on his own forehead. Well, uh, that's, that was different. Or, yeah, sorry. I'm that just saying all the things yeah, yeah. That, that, that he did that were but, I just thought great. And then you watch him. That promo that he cut was a minute 20. Was that it? Yeah. And in 80 seconds, he showed you exactly why the promo and writing and production system at WWE does not work and needs to die. So, JMO, let's wrap it up here. Double or nothing, AEW's first entrant into the, the world of pay-per-view and their entrance into wrestling. What's the letter grade? It's kind of a hard one to, to grade, right? I, I know that there's plenty of room for improvement, and I know that it was not as good as even All In yep. or, uh, you know, Wrestle Kingdom. But this stuff, I never like. It's like, oh, this one's yeah, an A, yeah. so it can't. I'm, I'm not going to compare it to other shows. I'm going to judge it on its own merits, and on its own merits, purely on excitement and the moments that came out of it and... We've talked many times on the show, wrestling is all about moments. A lot of it, yep. And this show had plenty of those. No doubt. I'm going to give it an A. Yeah, there you go. Uh, it would be it'd be a solid B for me because there's, again, there were matches on the show. It felt a bit like Dominion last year where it's like the top end is so memorable for me yeah. and the front half is, like, if you ask me what the front half of Dominion was last year, I can't tell you. <laughs> I just had such a great time watching this show from beginning to end. Yeah, it's that, fun. It's that, fun. That, like... You know, oftentimes I feel like I watch WWE pay-per-views as a chore so that we can talk about them on this show. Right, yeah. And obviously we had to talk about this on the show this week, but I looked forward to it the entire time. Like, That's a, That means a lot. It never it never wore out its welcome. It never was like, all right, let's hurry up and go. Even in like the six-man matches, the six-woman matches, this was a really fun show from front to back. And it just got me energized as a wrestling fan in a way that... WWE product of late has not. Maybe and you just love multi-man matches. No, maybe I just love AEW. I think it's abundantly clear that you do love AEW. Jamo, can I tell you something shocking? Absolutely. Like a true surprise here. Sure, go ahead. There's an NXT takeover this weekend. There sure is. Do you feel like no I, I told Mike this morning because he's wondering if I'm going to be here Saturday. And I'm like, oh, no, I'm going to be missing uh, the Champions League final and takeover. He's like, there's yeah. takeover this Saturday? <laughs> it's, like, it's like, yeah, man. There, it's and, but, but I don't think that's bad on its part. Like, this one feels extremely – these ones that aren't tied to, to WWE pay-per-views. I remember the Chicago one with Bait and Dunn on it But Chicago ago. was still tied to Backlash, I think. Was it, Oh, yeah, yeah. But e, it a was B just not a big yeah. four. Yeah, so this one stands alone, and I don't think they've ever done that before. Well, the early takeovers are all Wednesday nights, oh, not tied true, to anything. That's true. That's true. Like the London one, I think, yeah. is not attached to anything. Um, but but regard, and even that Owens uh, powerbombing Zane one. But yeah. it's it, this is surprising to me, and we don't have time to to get into a full breakdown like we'd like to do here. But yeah. I don't even know that I have a world to say about it besides um, one match that needs highlighting. And is that Tyler Breeze and of course. Velveteen Dream? Yes. You know what? It's exactly everything that I talked about. If you want to go back and rewind and listen to an hour ago when I was talking about WWE's failure to establish stars and make people feel important, Tyler Breeze is like Exhibit A. Yep. Because that guy has been lost in the shuffle forever on the main roster, even when he's been a prominent comedy player. There's still always been like a cap on how far they're going to put him. Yep. He goes back to NXT and within 30 seconds, instantly feels like exactly the star that I have always known that guy to be. I have a little bit of fear for this match, if I'm being honest. Uh, I'm very excited for it. It's easily the match on this card that I'm, I'm most looking forward to, to be clear. Yeah. I am nervous that they're going to book this to be more comedic than I want either of these guys to be. I don't think it will. I hope you're right. Because I, I watched the hype video so, that's on yep. the YouTube channel right now. Yeah. 
it was very serious. Oh yeah, from both guys. But this is what my concern is: is that they're going to present it as like these guys are serious, and then they're going to do like a pose off or something. Like, isn't that easy to see? I just think NXT booking is better than that. I, I, On the main roster, if this was if we were talking about this match at Super Showdown, I would one hundred percent agree with you because obviously Mohammed bin Salman he wants to see the pose. Your favorite off. guy, yeah, yeah, he needs to see the pose <laughs> are, off. Are either of those guys even allowed in Saudi Arabia? <laughs> Probably not. He selfies. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, I, I trust NXT booking to be better than that. Jim, let's just get a couple quick thoughts on, on these out of us before we switch over to the listener mailbag. Uh, Matt Riddle and Roderick Strong. Should be uh, fun. Should, should be, be tight. match. Yep. Yeah, I think Roddy's going to lose. I think Riddle's going to look gigantic yeah. next, to, next to Roddy. And so I think there's going to be some really fun suplexes where it looks like he's crushing him. I'm looking yeah. forward to that. It's going to be a tight match. Both these guys have, like, their moves. Very snappy. Tag ladder match should absolutely whip. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm, I'm not fully there with it, but I think it's just because the Forgotten Sons are, like, almost a non-entity to me. Like, they do nothing to get me into yeah. things. But just the fact that it's a ladder match yep. with all the teams involved there. I'm sort of coming around on the Street Profits. They're, yeah. They, uh, they, they are I, so hit or miss, though. Yeah. Um, but they're really fun. Funny. Like, They're super funny. I think the 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 one that the, the heavier guy. No, no, no. I'm talking about the um, the video that they did with Stokely, the very oh, first yeah, yeah, missing yeah. CD player one. I went back and watched it again today, um, and I thought I I feel like I've been sleeping on that one because I'm always sure. trying to figure out like Your the rankings. pecking order of like which Stokely video is the funniest. The very end where it's cutting back and forth between them looking at Stokely and then it cuts back to Stokes' angle and he's not there and it cuts back to their angle and he's standing in between them. So good. Holy fuck. Hilarious. Those guys are fun and yes, like you said, very hit or miss but I'm sort of coming around on that as a gimmick that I did not like for most of the last year and a half. Between, so something I do really like about this is I think this is the first NXT TakeOver where it's Red Dragon wrestling. Mm -hmm. Like it's Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly representing Undisputed Era in this match, which gets me fired up. I don't know that it's the first time that's happened. Really? But you'd have to go back a long time. I always feel like it's Cole in one of them, but maybe I'm mistaken. On a TakeOver? Yeah. Okay. Who takes the worst bump in this match? Because they were the tag champions. And then Fish got injured and the tag belt transferred on to... Okay, I must just be misremembering. Yeah. Well, that's because they've been in NXT for fucking yeah. ever. <laughs> Who takes the worst bump in this match? Oni Lorcan, Danny Birch, one of the Forgotten Sons, one of the Street Profits, or somebody from Red Dragon? Oni. Fuck. I think Oni causes the most damage. Uh, that might be true, too, but I think like that's a guy who feels like he is willing to do anything to get himself <laughs> yep. over. Um, so I think Oni was, is going to take a wild bump. In Put this me match. down for O'Reilly on that bet. I'm going to love this next match, JMO, the NXT Women's Championship, Baszler vs. Yo Shirai. I think, I think I've think i said this before. I think their styles probably go the best together of any singles opponent for Shayna Baszler. Mm. Trying to hit the moonsault, trying to ground the opponent. No ropes, all ropes. I think these two go together really well. I'm expecting something good here. And Cole vs. Gargano. I don't feel that juiced for this one. No, we've seen it a couple times, though, right? That's yeah. probably why. Uh, it is the blow-off, though, and I am kind of looking forward to it because I do really like both of these guys. But as I have said in the past, and I will say again now, I am expecting Gargano to retain the title, possibly on the back of botched interference. Oh, as Undisputed Era try to have their boys back, but it costs him the match. Specifically Roddy, you think? Yes. I don't know if that's how it's going to go down necessarily, but I am expecting Roddy to get kicked out of Undisputed Era or to separate himself by purposefully attacking Cole uh, to remove himself from Undisputed Era because I am confident that NXT TakeOver Toronto that you and I are going to, that we have floor seats for... <laughs> Uh, that is going to be headlined by 
Gargano versus Matt Riddle in the main event. Yeah. And an undercard of uh, Adam Cole versus Roderick Strong yep. as the co-main. And then the North American title match will be Velveteen Dream versus Kushida. Wow. Who, who's complaining about any of that lineup? I know somebody asked us for our predictions on Toronto <laughs> in the questions. So I just got that one yeah. right out of the way. I, I want to apologize for Danger Boy because he has asked that question, I think, twice in a row. Yeah. And so there's your answer. I agree with J-Mo. <laughs> uh, J-Mo, are you ready to jump into the... Uh, because <laughs> I know I am. We gotta be quick here, though. We got uh, it's five o'clock. We're running out of time. Raps game's coming up fast. Can I float an idea here? Sure. Only one of us answers each question. Sure. Okay. So, do you want to field the first one or the second one? Uh, I'll take the first one. Okay. First question this week comes to us from the world's form, world's foremost horse professor, Matt Rainus, and also the top marks most powerful listener of the year, 2018. Yeah, absolutely, he is. Uh, I'm asking the question you didn't answer last week again. Thanks for the passive aggression. If you had a real-life money-in-the-bank contract and you could steal any person's job, if you could successfully pin them, who would you challenge? Brendan Batchelor. <laughs> <laughs> I believe I could pin him, and I believe I could do his job. <laughs> Brendan Bachelor, our friend, of course, the play-by-play for the Vancouver Canucks. Yes, very funny. Next question this week comes. I'm to not us. saying that he's an he's a paper champion. No, or maybe I am saying that. I fight me, Brendan. Put your job on the line, bitch. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> right. More uh, like uh, Brendan Bitchler if oh he doesn't accept. <laughs> I'm glad you're the only one answered this question. I just want to go on the record. I love Brodo. I I will not be cutting a promo on him. I think he's a fine gentleman with. It's a tremendous broadcaster. I've seen Brodo do play-by-play that changed your life. Next question this week comes to us from Good Vibes Only Scoots Brodo. Oh, actually, this is kind of good. This one landed on me. Oh, no, I think, well, maybe both of us. Yeah. Inspired by the Pokemon discourse in the Top Marks Patreon group chat, join at patreon.com slash topmarks for only $5 to see a boy cut a promo video involving eating a lemon. Oh, my God. Scoots, Scoots promos are. Yes. If you're not in the Top Marks Patreon, trust me that you are missing out on some better shit than this podcast. He is the good friends champion right now, the champ of our predictor pool. Yep. And he is cutting all kinds of uh, promos on anyone who dares challenge him for that title. Anyone. As we approach uh, the big June pay-per-view, which is, of course... The scoots, scoots and grounds, scooting grounds, <laughs> and and not to you know to say what he said here. He ends each promo by taking a bite into a skin on citrus fruit well, every the time. The first one was an apple, I think. What did he? No, it was, oh, it was a lime orange? and then lemon and then orange. Oh, okay. All skin on. Yeah. Uh, and frankly, folks, it's. But anyway, his question is inspired by the Pokemon discourse in the Top Marks Patreon chat. Create an elite four of wrestlers and which Pokemon type they would specialize in. Easy scoots. This one's easy. Finn Balor, fire type. I'm doing this on the fly. Alistair Black, dark type. Sonya Deville, fighting type. <laughs> Sonya is perfect. Thanks. I never would have thought of her. And I need a fourth. Anyone come to mind? Somebody with Vixa Pokemon. To- oh, oh, this is easy. Daniel Bryan as ground type. Oh, yeah. He loves the earth. And there's your question. See, um, I can't answer this one because it wasn't posed at me. Do you want to say anything quick about it? Yeah. Uh, my Elite Four would be uh, Seth Rollins, Kenny Omega, AJ Styles, and I need a woman in there. <laughs> Becky, let's go Becky Lynch fire. There we go. Yeah. Well, I just picked all the like video game nerds. Yeah. I should probably have Xavier in there, but... They have to have the types. That's what makes them the Elite exactly, Four. Exactly, exactly. Next question this week comes to us from the Nick Patan Superfan. It's Blair 
Pachico. Very interesting question here. Before a champion from NXT is called up, do you think it's more effective for them to lose the title on the way out or to vacate the title? So you remember Asuka vacated. Mm-hmm. Most, I think, have gotten pinned. Is Asuka the only exception? Viking Raiders. Yeah, vacated. Uh, they vacated. Paige vacated. Right. So there's been a few. Yeah. What do you think is ultimately most effective? You should you should be pinned. You should put yeah. someone over on the way out. I don't like it when they don't do that. Now, Asuka, that's a special exception because she had an undefeated streak and you don't want to mess with that. Yeah. But, like, there was no reason for Viking Raiders not to be pinned before they left NXT. I don't think you look weak losing a match. It's not like they'd never lost. Like, the entire argument that uh, Street Profits have for being in this match on Saturday is that they already pinned the Viking Raiders. That's right. Why couldn't they beat them to win the titles? That doesn't make sense. Our next question this week comes to us from... (laughs) There were some questions we got this week that are just trying to get us to argue. There is a great level of them, and I'm not reading them because I don't want to be in a bad mood. So there you go. Uh, I, don't, I got nothing to fight about with my hashtag good friend over here. There we go. It's Raps Day, baby. We're we're on the same team. Raps in four. Uh, but I'll go with Colin's second question here. At Colin the Comic, John Colin asks, which wrestler would you want to hear a John Moxley-style tell-all podcast from? Hmm. There's so many, right? Um, for me, my mind instantly goes to, like, who's been there the longest because they could. And, and we're assuming, I guess, J-Mo here, that, that they are going to actually tell all, right? I don't mm-hmm. have to consider their personality with that. Mm-hmm. Give me Big Show, then. If he's actually going to, like, get into the, the nitty-gritty, he has been there for everything. And has, like, you want to talk to a guy who has some booking disasters under his belt by creative? Big Show's got more of them than almost anybody. See, my answer there would be Mark Henry once again. Yeah, another another, another good answer. Completely fucked over by creative for a very long time back in the 90s as well. Next question, uh, Jamal, comes to us from Tyler Parisi at Old Tiles. Thronk. Uh, Thronk. <laughs> did you, I guess we sort of addressed this, but I'll read it anyway. Did you cry when Cody addressed Dustin post match, or did you both just get something in your eyes? Um, I, I did not cry at this. I didn't cry when I watched it live, but BR Live put it out as a clip on Twitter the day after, and I watched it again in the morning, and I did cry when I watched it the second time. So you're just not comfortable crying around me? No. I think I was just too stoned to feel <laughs> the full emotion of the moment. I was very impressed by his performance. I think literally as soon as he said, I need my brother, I said to you, he sold the shit out of that moment. <laughs> That's But, okay. like, you know, I was in analytical mode whereas when i watched the next day i was in the moment with them if that makes sense it totally does uh next question jmo the the portmanteau playboy west Tanko asks fuck mary kill <laughs> the cast of firefly funhouse mm-hmm. which is great rambling rabbit mm-hmm. mercy the buzzard abby the witch can, can i say something kind of embarrassing first sure when he asked this question you know i see it on twitter i'm the one who puts it out i, I read it I knew instantly who I was going to fuck in this situation. I think we have the same answer. It's Rambling Rabbit. What is it about Rambling Rabbit that seems so hot? He's a (laughs) dirtbag. He's a a jerk. You're telling me you don't think Rambling Rabbit's a good lay, folks? I mean, the guy. You know he gets down. He's a fucking asshole, but he's the kind of asshole that you meet at a bar and then you uh, wind up going home with him. Yeah, it's it's so for... I think we shared that uh, Rambling Rabbit. How about Mercy the Buzzard and Abby the Witch? Who's dying? I'm, I'm going kill on Mercy the Buzzard. Okay. And I don't really like Abby the Witch. Sure. But uh, you got to make the best of, uh, of your options. Sure, here. yeah. None of them seem like great yeah. life partners. So, you know, Mercy's getting put down. 
a merciful kill. Nice. And uh, Abby and I live happily ever after. I'm actually going to swap those. I'm going to kill Abby the Witch because I find her legitimately a little freaky. And uh, I'll, I'll. She just wants to be left alone and, and uh, you know, a little peace and quiet to relax. And I think that. You know where she can get that? What, the afterlife. true, in the grave. <laughs> yeah, that's she, be... she can also get it in a wonderful married life with me where I just cook for her and we watch Netflix. <laughs> At E Prime, the Eric Gilo fiasco asks. Who is the person that picks a fight with Aleister Black? Can they do it already? I don't know who it's going to be. Got to be Bray. Yeah, maybe. They both have nothing. They match up magnificently. I just, I would rather they both beat people on the way to meeting, but sometimes you just got to pull the trigger on it. And I, I think maybe that's the SummerSlam match, though. Ooh, gosh, that'd be a tasty, that'd be a tasty SummerSlam match for me. There's got to be something in the lead up. I think, I think one. I don't know, because Finn seems like he's tied up very much with Andrade right now, but I would like to see Finn and Alistair as well, and they're on the same show. It's not really clear what show Bray's yeah. on right now. And with the wild card, who knows? Yeah. Jim, our next question this week comes to friend of the show, Ryan Shap at Shaptop, and he asks, <laughs> you can answer the first one in one word. What was the flavor of AEW Kool-Aid that Justin drank? Grape. <laughs> and the next part, give me something that Vince would propose to each of you to do or say the that he was thinking, uh, the, the syntax is awful here, Ryan. Uh, I'll read it. Give me something that Vince would propose each of you do or say, thinking that it was so you and that it's good shit, pal. Uh-huh. Of course, referring to, to John Moxley yeah. saying that he was so given bad things and Vince saying, that's good shit. Vince is going to make me go on TV and say racism is good. He'd <laughs> hear that one, that one tank and be like, this guy gets it. He's going to hear one episode of the podcast from two years ago where I defended gender being racist for heat and be like, oh, you got to go out there, pal, and say, it's a, it's a divisive issue, but you come down on the side of racism just being wonderful. I don't know if you knew this or not, but Brendan Bachelor asked so you. <laughs> My ears. <laughs> I don't know if you know this. Brendan Bachelor actually asked a question this week. I know that. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to phrase it differently than he asked. Yeah, because he completely misrepresented my opinions, and maybe that's why I'm shooting on him. He can think about that. I mean, he's. I agree with Brendan 100% on that. <laughs> you thinking that Vince McMahon's going to go extinct by AEW is crazy. But I think there's a question. I'm just going to paraphrase his question here. Wh- what will Vince do if pushed out of WWE? Uh, probably die <laughs> the xfl jmo <laughs> yeah he's got a football true. league to that's run true he does but it might not last longer than one season like the uh, the alliance of american football lasted a year and it was a disaster and so maybe what if vince gets into hollywood what if he goes all in wwe yeah, studios WWE studios that should be his main that busy work project fighting with my family was good it was very good i met a guy at a party this saturday who who was like oh you're a wrestling fan as it does this come up mm-hmm. he's like and he's not a wrestling fan. And he went and saw fighting with my family with like his brother or something. He's like, I couldn't believe how fucking good that movie was. I was yeah. like, Yeah, man, I know. It was really good. And he was like, Oh, was it pretty accurate? Asking me all these questions about like the accuracy is pretty funny. It changed a number of things, but you know, dramatic license. Yeah, and the, the general tale kind of got wacky family to champion. That, that exactly. sort of narrative exactly. is there. Exactly. Jamo, I think that's all the questions we got time for this week. Apologies if we didn't get to yours, but I'm actually not that sorry about it because we don't want to make a two hour show every week either. So no, we gotta we gotta hurry off and go watch basketball uh if you liked the show please feel free to rate and review it over there on the itunes store that and always helps please us. support us if you like this show donate to keep it going you can head on over to patreon.com slash top marks 
throw five bucks in the hat every month. Not only will you encourage the further production of more episodes of the show, yeah. you also get added to the absolute best group chat going on Twitter.com right now. We talk wrestling every minute of every single day. So it is, you know, we're not throwing out bonus episodes like we used to on the same rate as we used to, but you At don't all. even need bonus episodes when your life is a bonus episode because you can talk to us at any time of day, uh, whenever you want. I'm happy. Anything. May I say that I'm happy to hear you still enjoy the chat after this week? I'm, I'm thankful to hear you still think it's I, a great I, chat. I, no, I take fire. I, I stand by my opinions, and if you want to fight me, come at me, bro. I welcome the challenge. But if you come at the king, you best not miss, and everybody missed me this week. So... Always giving fingers to you guys. I, I just want to say that the 99 percentile of our listener that disagrees with Justin, I agreed with you 100% of the way. But until next week, um, pepperoni sticks. Say yeah. I was just going to say that, you know, the Pokemon thing has taken over the chat this yeah, week, too. That's been th – there's just a lot of fun bits going on the guys, in the chat. Guys are playing through old Pokemon games and naming all of their <laughs> characters after people in the chat and characters from this show. So it's, it's very, been great. It's been great. The chat is just – I really do Well worth it. the money. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't pay for it. Yeah. But I, I will say, as we wrap up here, yeah. uh, Becky Lynch's fire type. Okay. I'm going to say that uh, – Kenny Omega is ghost type. Okay, yep. Purple gear, the gray hair. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to say that Seth Rollins is electric type. And I feel like that one's kind of weak. AJ Styles is water type. Okay. I, Seth is electric. I don't, I don't as much get, but what are you going to do with Tarkin? Well, I already used fire on Becky, and I can't have two fire types, so fuck. I'm screwed. <laughs> well, let's burn this down. <laughs> Go Raps. Raps in four. Hell yeah. <laughs> Titus Worldwide! <laughs>